this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past six on a Monday. Who'd have thought this time actually existed? Why are you up? I have to be up. I'm paid to be up. Why are you up? I wouldn't bother if I were you, but as you're here anyway, stick around. We've got lots coming up on the show this morning, including... There's going to be an inquiry into the low turnout at last week's police and crime commissioner elections. Why do you think so few people bothered to vote? It's day nine of the fire on, uh, near the M1 in St Albans. We have finally heard from the company that owns the recycling plant. They were going to come on, and then they said they would. Find out why they think the fire could have started in the next half an hour. And also... Christmas tree lights are being switched on across the three counties. I went at the weekend and saw some Christmas tree lights being turned on. Other radio stations are already playing festive hits. Is it all a bit too soon? When do you think Christmas should start? Lots of ways you can get in touch. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can text... 81333, starting your text 3CR. But the best way to do it, really, is if you give us a phone call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I went to, to, uh, to North London. There was the Christmas tree lights being turned on. It was very weird. Being turned on by Alex Zane, who I believe is a haircut. He's a haircut, isn't he? That's, that, that's it. And he's a very nice haircut. I met him many times. He's a lovely haircut, but he's a haircut. Um, and there was uh, a Father Christmas. There was snow. There were reindeer. There, were, there was a camel. Uh, there were, like, fairies on stilts. I don't know if that's particularly... See, so it was, it was fun... But, and listen, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. It's, the, it's fantastic. Just felt a little bit middle of November-ish. Haven't we just had bonfire night? When do you think Christmas should start? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call on that. Now, you may be wondering, I'm sure you're chomping at the bit to find out what your new police and crime commissioner is going to do for you. Well, after 8 o'clock this morning, you'll get to find out. The new commissioner for Bedfordshire, Ollie Martins, will be swearing in live on this programme. The commissioners were elected after appalling turnouts across the, the country. The Electoral Commission will now launch an inquiry. Well, BBC Three Counties political reporter Paul Scoynes reflects on last week's vote. Anthony Stansfeld is duly elected to serve as police and crime commissioner for the Thames Valley Police Area. I therefore give notice that said... Ollie Martin's Labour and Cooperative Party is duly elected as the Police and Crime Commissioner for Bedfordshire Police Area. Thank you. I therefore do give notice that Lloyd David Edward Conservative is duly elected as Police and Crime Commissioner for the Hertfordshire Police Area. Thank you. That was the moment the police forces in Beds, Hearts and Bucks changed. The new commissioners will officially take charge of their forces on Thursday, but already they will have started to think hard about some of the difficult choices they'll have to make. In Hertfordshire, David Lloyd has already spoken about plans to involve the private sector, including G4S, in running behind-the-scenes parts of the force. I'm not committed to any one company, but what I am committed to doing is to make sure that we have the most efficient 
uh, and well-organised back office that we can, and I think that is more likely to be delivered uh, by uh, an outside company than by what we do in-house, and obviously we've got to get a, a business plan together to see what's there. That's something the Bedfordshire Commissioner will have a view on. That force is to work closely with Hart, and along with Cambridgeshire Force, was due to be in on the private deal, though Ollie Martins told me he's having no private company involved. I will certainly be delivering on the no privatisation promise. Are you now putting the absolute stop to that as far as you're concerned? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's the reason it was in all my literature, because I'm simply not prepared to do that. The whole point of these positions was to make forces more accountable to the public. The new commissioners will, as part of their job, listen to victims of crime and make their policies according to what they hear back. Anthony Stansfeld, who's now in charge of the largest non-metropolitan force in the country, says dealing with the public is his main priority. You're going to have a huge amount of correspondence coming in. Thames Valley covers 21 parliamentary constituencies and knowing how much correspondence an MP gets, you can see what the problem is going to be. Like David Lloyd, he was on the previous police authority, but having politicians run the forces is one of the reasons cited for such a poor turnout. In Bedfordshire, only one in five people voted who could. This voter in Hertfordshire told us he thought that might come from the way we think of politics in this country. I think it's a reflection of the general apathy that the British people feel towards politicians in general and towards the fact that although we've got a vote, it doesn't seem to make very much difference who gets voted for. They all seem to be doing the same things, using the same excuses. However, in Bedfordshire, Conservatives spoke openly about how turnout had been affected by the sitting MP for mid-beds, Nadine Dorries, taking part in the ITV programme I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Andrew Salou, MP for neighbouring South East Beds. Well, that obviously hasn't helped us locally. This is partly a mid-term protest, I think. You know, governments often suffer in the polls in the middle of a parliamentary term. Uh, that's made it more difficult for us. But has Nadine Dorries damaged your candidate in Bedfordshire because of her appearance on that TV show? Well, it certainly hasn't helped. It remains to be seen how the public warm to these new commissioners. Perhaps when you've had problems with the police or a crime in your area, you haven't had anywhere to turn to. Perhaps a more public figure will enable you to connect more with the police. David Cameron, speaking in Arlsey on the campaign trail, said we'd get used to the roles. But let's be frank, when you have a new job and you're... Uh, basically putting it forward for the first time, of course that is challenging. You know, the first time a mayor is elected, even in a big city like London, the turnout is quite low. It takes time for these things to build. But I think the, the, the challenge I would make is this. You know, in four years' time, I think everyone in Bedfordshire will know the name of their police commissioner. In four years, four year, over the last four years, have any more people known about their police authority? Of course not. As we said later on in the show, the commissioner for Bedfordshire, Ollie Martins, will be swearing in live on this programme. I hope that means what I think it means. Uh, and this morning, I want to hear from you. Why do you think so few people bothered to vote? If you didn't go... I don't want to know about you if you went and voted. That, that, that's fine, you did that, that's good. If you didn't vote, give me a call. 08459 455 555 and tell me why. Oh, this is a cheeky little song. I love a bit of this. George Harrison, yes, please. I'm tempted to throw a Christmas song in just to... The other radio stations are playing Christmas songs. I, maybe it's a bit early. Last week, when I was in uh, one of the pound shops in Luton, there, there are many, and they are all excellent. I was walking around buying uh, birthday presents for Jonathan Vernon Smith. Um, the internet sensation, Jonathan Vernon Smith. And they started playing Merry Christmas, Everybody, by Slade. And my heart just rose. It was wonderful. I, suddenly I had that Christmas feeling. I, I, I'm a big fan of Christmas. I don't think it can come too early. 
Seeing Father Christmas at the weekend? I don't know. When do you think Christmas should start? Is now a good time? Should we be playing Christmas songs on this this station? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, what do you mean when you say that they're running a nice service? Is it everyone like being really friendly and stuff? Sophie's gone. She didn't want to face. She did not want to face that question, and rightfully so. It was disrespectful. Congratulations, Sophie. I believe the term is you owned me. <laughs> you may have heard mentioned last week that I was going to go to a nudist colony. I did. Spielplatz. We'll be playing it in a little bit. Okay, I just, just want to warn you that if you've got young ears, you might wish to shield them or, or let them go and watch Fireman Sam or something because this is for, strictly for adults only. I, I was wondering, I was there and they were wonderful, wonderful people, all fantastic, fantastic people. I saw things that I'll never be able to um, erase from my memory, but I, they were wonderful people. I was just, I just don't get it. I don't get the nudism and the, the sitting around naked having a. There were people sitting there naked. Having cups of tea and, and fried breakfasts and a pint of beer and stuff. I just, if it's a long shot, I know. If we've got any nudists listening to the show right now, they're all listening to Jonathan Vernon Smith when I went in. <laughs> there was a room full of nudists listening to JVS. Oh, he was disgusted when I told him. If we've got any nudists listening to the show right now, could you give me a call and just, just explain, just say why, just tell me why. I'm not judging you. I just, I honestly don't get it. And I tried to get it at the weekend. They, they, it was, well, they, they, they did try and get me naked. You'll find out what happens in about 15, 20 minutes. But could you just give me a call? 08459 455 555. Nudists. Why? Jimmy Ruffin, what becomes the broken hearted? 08459 455 555 is the phone number if you want to give us a call. Naturists. Why? Now, it's day nine of the fire which continues to blaze at the Wood Recycling Centre near St Albans, leaving residents with an intermittent water supply. Fire crews first went to the site in Apps Pond Lane at midnight on Saturday last week to fight the fire. And now local businesses are starting to suffer too. Our fire correspondent, Justin Dealey, has been following the story and joins us live from the site. Morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. Good morning. What's, what's the latest there? Well, there's still a large fire, but it's certainly reduced in size since uh, so, so last Monday, let's say. But in saying that, the M1 Junction 8, you can see this fire. Not, not so much southbound, but as you go northbound, you can still see it. I yeah, believe you saw it this morning. Southbound's kind of shielded by the trees Ooh. a bit, so you don't really see it. Uh, but yeah, I saw it this morning, and it, it did look a bit smaller, but it's still a huge fire. It's still huge. Yeah. I saw it yesterday morning early as well. I know for a fact that Hearts Fire and Rescue have received hundreds of calls again over the weekend about it. We've heard from some local residents. They've moved out because they have no water. Their water is being used to fight this fire. But as you mentioned briefly there, it's also having a massive effect on local business. One of those businesses is the Hollybush Pub in Potter's Crown. Now, that's at the top of Apspon Lane, where this fire is. They've suffered power problems, number of road closures as well. And over the weekend, I've been talking to Steve Williams, who runs the pub. Um, being um, at the back end of nowhere, um, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a challenge to get customers here um, in the first place. So um, when you, you, you get um, things like this happen, um, it's even worse. I mean, you can't put a price on it just yet, but I think it's fair to say that you've lost thousands in the last week rather than hundreds. Is that correct? Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, we've had to close early on a Sunday night, um, which can be busy. Um, our lunch times are good. Um, we had a Monday lunchtime where we had to close. Uh, the Tuesday lunchtime where there were the road closures in, um, there was a smattering of people. So, yeah, definitely. It's been a massive impact. Um, 
takings wise okay and just lastly do you feel like you've been kept up to date with information on road closures with the fire itself uh, the relevant authorities have they been in touch and if so has that communication been good enough as far as you're concerned uh, absolutely not um with the power we had to call the um the power network supplies to to you know get a, a, an idea of when power was coming back on um i know it's difficult for them because they've got to do a lot behind the scenes to try and uh, make you know make the network come back on for us um but there was never any sort of uh, real kind of idea of when power was going to come back on we asked for a generator um that wasn't forthcoming either um so i mean you can't trade without power you, it's heating um it's running every all the appliances so it's no good and um, with with regard to the council obviously i would hold them partly responsible for for letting um it get out of hand up there really uh, and then obviously the road closures i mean it would have been nice if someone had come and had a word of me and said like we're gonna we look we're gonna ch- shut these roads um is you know is there any way that we can help you out um with some more signage for for you um i actually had to get a, a an able time printed up and taken up to one of the roundabouts just to to show people that we were still open and that you could get down a, a lane that was showing that was shut um you know i just didn't hear anything from Hearts highways um but that isn't uh, the first time it happens here all the time you can see here the lanes are in a in a state um there's traffic management issues um but the council just uh you know we're out of sight out of mind all the time it's not that we don't um approach them and lobby them it's just that they don't really do much so the words there of steve williams clearly not a happy man losing thousands as opposed to hundreds in the last week he runs the hollybush pub in possus crouch which is only a few hundred yards away from the fire in Apspon lane in st albans now ian at the start of the program you mentioned that we have received a statement from the company concerned we have been trying to track them down for the last week or so they nearly they nearly came on justin we were yay close to having them on then they they, they pulled away at the last minute it's very close however we have received a statement yes. from wood recycling services limited who run this site here in st albans now they say the fire service and environment agency have advised that the fire will be allowed to burn itself out in a controlled fashion it's unknown how long that will take and we have got an update on that later with the fire service the fire is in a stockpile of graded recycled wood destined for processing and preparation as biomass fuel for the new breed of green power stations both in the uk and ireland we are working alongside the fire service and their investigation into the cause of the fire as the fire started on the very top of the wood pile there is a possibility that this could have been started by accident perhaps even by a firework so that's what they're saying in this statement they also go on to say that once the fire has burned itself out wrs will implement its cleanup plan to remove the waste ash and clear the site so uh, that's the gist of what they're saying come and talk to us come and talk to us there are people out there who want to hear from you it's only fair come and talk to us for goodness sakes well the invitation again certainly stands the morning but um uh, stands this morning but as far as they're concerned with the statement lots in there but uh, they're saying it started by accident perhaps 
by a firework. So that's um, what's coming out of the statement this morning from Wood Recycling Services Limited in Apspon Lane. Justin, you know I went to see these um, naturists uh, uh, last week. <laughs> yes. Would you yes. would you ever do it? Do you like to let it all hang out? So I wish well, I would started that sentence. Sorry. See, <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I started that, I thought, oh no, don't finish it. I had um, to. When I was younger, I, I was all into this all over town business. Let's just say. <laughs> but really? uh, now I've got a bit older, I like to wear longer shorts. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, let's let's leave. I, I, as soon as I started that conversation with Dealey, I knew I was on a hiding to nothing. I knew it. <coughs> I did go and um, hang out with some nudists. Again, I, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's just uh, fraught with innuendo and minefields, isn't it, this place? Uh, if you are a naturist or a nudist, give us a call. 08459 four double five five double five. You can hear what happened when I went um, to see some uh, last week, a little bit. Uh, we're also asking about the police uh, and crime commissioners' elections, why so few turned out. Nick and Hitchin has texted in. Thank you, Nick. 81333. Starting his text, 3CR. I believe the reason so few people voted in the crime commissioner election is we don't need yet another layer of overpaid, politically correct, clipboard-carrying, box-ticking bureaucrats. What we really need are police on the streets nicking criminals, nicking hitching. Well, we, we've got the, the uh, police and crime commissioner from uh, Bedfordshire being sworn in on this show later on, and I'm sure he will say, without wishing to put words in his mouth, that he's going to probably try and get more copies on the street. We'll ask him. We'll put that to him, Nick. Maybe that's what he's going to try and achieve. 08459 four double five five double five. And also this morning, when should Christmas start? I went to a little Christmas do in North London uh, on Saturday night, I think it was. There was a Father Christmas. There were reindeer. There was a camel. I got to touch... I touched the camel at the weekend. What did you do with your life? Uh, and I saw Alex Zane, the haircut, turn on some lights. I enjoyed it, and it was fun. Obviously, my, my little boy loved it. But uh, part of me was thinking, is this a little bit too soon, perhaps? When do you think Christmas should start? 08459 four double five five double five. Other radio stations are playing Christmas music as we speak. Right, let's get the news and sport now with Catherine. Call 08459 four double five five double five. 08459 four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Thank you, Catherine. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties. Lots coming up in the next half hour, including... Now, we've, we've mentioned this before. I think one of the first weeks I was here, we did this, and we had so many uh, the, the angry phone calls about this. It is an issue that's divided the Church of England for years, but this week, uh, a decision. It must make a decision on whether to create women bishops. Find out why it's so controversial and have your say as well, 08459 455 555. I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to be impartial in these things. I'll put my cards on the table. I don't see a problem with it at all. I, surely, in 2012, we should have women bishops, shouldn't we? Should, you, most sensible people would agree with that obvious statement. 08459 455 555. And on a completely different tangent... I went to see a group of naturists in Hertfordshire. Mm. You can hear my report, and I'm using that with a very small R. Hear my report in the next few minutes. But what do you think about naturism? Is it natural or just a bit nasty? 3CR at bbc.co.uk. It's good, that. Well done. Uh, or text 81333. Starting your text 3CR. Or, and this is the best way, isn't it? Give us a call. 08459 455 555. Bit chilly today, isn't it? Oh, it's cold. Top temperature 10 degrees. Well, spare a thought, please, for the naked people. 
And you see, you, you lot don't think about naked people enough. I do. They're constantly on my mind. So I went along to Spielplatz, which is a naturist community in Hertfordshire, to see how they've been getting on during this particularly cold and wet year. Very disappointed that you have got clothes on. What is that about, Tina? Well, I had to come out and find you. You got lost. It is very, very nippy out there. The sun is on, and if you will, I will. I've got, I've got a bad leg, so I can't do that. You can sit down. Listen, the thing I'm concerned about is, is during the winter, when it gets cold, do you find that, that your members shrink? Uh, some naturists are just sunbathers, so they come in the summer, but we're a community, so people live here and our members come in. What do they get out of being here? You can just live with no clothes on. It's just brilliant. Can I go and talk to these people down here? I'm going to bring my cup of tea. Although I'll try not to spill it anyway. I don't want to hurt anyone. <laughs> morning. Morning, nudists. Morning. morning. Right, Ken, you've been here since 1979. Yes. You look like a normal enough bloke. Why'd you get involved with this lot? <laughs> <laughs> well, I find that it's, it's much more relaxing to be without clothes than, uh, than with them. When you're working, for example, I mean, I... Uh, I get just too hot in clothes. Yes. And, uh, it's, it is nice to be able to take them all off. It's no good walking around in a pair of hot trousers when, you're, mm. when you've got uh, your, your top half of your body without clothing. It was, it was difficult to start with, and um, uh, it was just a question that you, you re- suddenly realise that people are not looking at you as a body, they're mm. looking at you as a person. Mm. If there's some hot young thing here... Do you, do, you, do you check them out? Are you allowed to check them out? Are there rules? <laughs> uh, I suppose. Well, I mean, it depends how you talk to them, really. And yes. uh, you, 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 there's, 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 no, there's no room for, in this club for any kind of uh, lecherous attitude no towards... Toward, no, 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 at all. Good. OK, listen, you, you, you stripped off, Tina? Yes. <laughs> You're stripping off? Yes, I'm, I'm stripping... I'm keeping my clothes on. Yeah. I'm old-fashioned like that. But we're going to go in the sauna. OK. Let's go. OK. I'll take my shoes and socks off. Naked feet. Oh, steady. Steady. Okay, here we go. We're coming into the sauna. Oh, blimey. There's loads of naked people. Shut the door. Yeah. Shut the door, yes. Yeah, shut the door. You look like a... I'm going to make eye contact. You look like a relatively normal young lady. What are you doing with this lot? <laughs> well, we are all normal here, aren't we? <laughs> Well, I would say some are more normal than others, perhaps. Well, it depends on the perspective, doesn't it? I saw you stripping off, not that I was watching, (laughs) out of the corner of my eye, for journalistic reasons, I saw you getting your kit off out there. You had no qualms about it. You did it very quickly. I just feel like we came naked to this world, you know, so there's no shame in a naked body. Tina, do you think I'm I'm, going to get out in a second? Because I'm wearing clothes in a sauna. You're going to get out and take them off, are you? No, no, listen, I'm old-fashioned and I kind of like... Is it Hello. Hello. <laughs> God, I kind, I quite, I don't know where to look. I like clothes. That's not bad, is it? No, that's not bad. I like clothes too. But at the moment, we're in the sauna. We're all yes. naked. Yes. You're the perverse one. <laughs> she's, she's got me on a technicality. Oh, here comes another naked person. I'm going to go home and think about my mum. Bye. Now, there's a Freudian thing. Why on earth did I say that at the end? I'm going to go. There's all these naked people, and I ended it with, "I'm going to go home and think about my mum." 
You could spend years in therapy wondering where that came from. So those are the lovely people at Spielplatz, and they were wonderful, and I got a fried egg sandwich and a cup of tea. I did, yeah, no, it was nice. I enjoyed it. But it, it left me scratching my head. And these people, I didn't realise that these people live there. They get people that go there for, like, kind of the day and stuff, and they, ha- uh, they go and play tennis and, and do things like that. Why are all the sports that they play, sports you have to either bend over or, or bounce around in? But so they have people that go there for the day, and it's wonderful and stuff. And it's been there, I think they were saying, since 1929. Uh, but there are people that live there, that live as nudists. Now, we have mentioned this briefly before, and we've had a couple of phone calls on this. So if you're listening, and you are a nudist or a naturist, can you give me a call and just let me know why? Because they were trying to explain it to me at this place last week. And I, I came away none the wiser. I just couldn't get it. And I was stood in a sauna with one, two, three, four, five, six or seven people who were all naked. And I was, I was fully clothed. Jeans, pants and a shirt on. I wasn't going to sit down anywhere. Uh, and, it, you know, there's something odd about standing in a bar interviewing people and you can see everything. Everything. 08459 four double five five double five. Why, why, why is the question? And if you think it's disgusting and perverse, also give us a call and let us know. 08459 455 555. Shall we have a quick look at the front pages? Uh, the Guardian. Oh, well, it's, it's uh, a lot of the front pages, uh, what's happening in Gaza at the moment. Uh, four children killed in single attack as assault intensifies. And Britain in nutritional recession as rising prices take toll on diet. I never know how to say that word toll. Toll? Toll. Toll or toll. Apparently I say Ollie Moore's wrong. I don't think I do. The Independent, uh, Gaza counts its dead as Israel plans invasion and big money poisons British democracy. Parliament's anti-sleaze watchdog warns of collapsing public faith. The Times, it's Gaza and secrecy bid over sex claims. Police fight to keep undercover affairs secret. Tricked woman wants damages case heard in court. Scotland Yard is making a controversial bid for secrecy over legal claims by female activists who say they were tricked into sexual relations with undercover officers. Uh, the Daily Telegraph there's a picture of um, a lady uh, and end of the right to challenge planning rulings more MPs bill taxpayer for rent as they let out their homes the Daily Mail internet porn and the rape suspects age 10 and there's Lisa Riley the Daily Express millions due a bigger pension retirees shortchanged by up to £1 billion in payouts and the front page of The Sun has the third most attractive girl at the bus stop to Lisa as um, going out with another man. I think a different one to the one we were talking about uh, the other day. We're also asking this morning, when, does Chris- when should Christmas start? I went to a little Christmas do at the weekend. I enjoyed it. But part of me was thinking, it's a bit early, even, even by my standards. We've got a text here, which is anonymous. Um, but if you want a text, do put your name on. 81333. Starting your text, 3CR. Christmas is simply another excuse for retailers to get your money in their tills. It should start on the 21st and all be done and dusted by the 26th of December. Oh, bar humbug. No, 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 no. A little bit longer than that, anonymous texter. It's good fun, isn't it? I love it. Uh, 08459-455-555 is the telephone number. Hmm, I don't know what this is on my screen. I'm going to press play and see what happens. So let me put my cards on the table here. I flipping love Christmas. I love it. I love it because I've got kids, and kids are wonderful, but I loved it before I had the kids. It's just a joy. You get the best dinner of the year. Right, Christmas dinner, even as a vegetarian, I know, I know, even as a vegetarian, you get the best dinner of the year. For some reason, those roast potatoes, 
Oh, they're so good on Christmas Day, aren't they? You get presents, which are always wicked, and anyone who says getting presents isn't great is just lying. Uh, you get to just eat chocolates for, chocolates for breakfast? Yeah, go on then, I will do. You can watch telly, you can go for a walk, there's no responsibility. It's wonderful. I love it. But when should Christmas start? Lights are being sw- switched on across the three counties. Shops and other radio stations are already playing Christmas music. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been uh, out and about. Justin, when do, <laughs> are you a fan of Christmas? Do you know what? I, I do like Christmas, but you're talking there about dinners. Sometimes it's the worst dinner of the year. Excuse depending me? Depending on who's cooking that dinner, let oh, me just say that. OK, well, no, listen, I, well, you can't put out claims like that without backing <laughs> up. I want names. <laughs> Who in your family cooks the worst Christmas dinner? Well, you know, sometimes mother in Yorkshire puddings are not particularly that great. Your wife? Flat. No, your, no, your no, mother-in-law's? No, my, my mum's. My oh, mom's. no, Justin! But no, apart from that, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. It's just the Yorkshire puddings that... They're like pancakes. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. I'm in Leverstock Green this morning, Ian. Yes. And you're asking the question, when does Christmas start? I've been talking to Sue. Take a listen to this. Well, Sue, the Christmas lights are up here in Leverstock Green. You've heard the Christmas records on commercial radio. Is that just wrong? What do you think? Um, I love Christmas, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I do feel that it should be beginning of December. It is way too early <laughs> in, in my thought. You know, but then the way that life is nowadays... Perhaps people just want a bit of enjoyment out of life. So for you personally, when does Christmas start? Would it be December the 1st or slightly later? December the 1st, because you go shopping and you get everything ready. So, yeah, December. So you've had enough of driving home for Christmas already? (laughs) Yes, yes, (laughs) definitely. And just lastly, you tipped us off because somebody in Adyfield has got their decorations up outside the house. They're all flashing this morning. Yes, they are. All flashing, great big blue and, and white teardrop Christmas lights all over their house. As we drove up, I couldn't believe it. So, yes, yes, obviously they like an early Christmas. Yeah. Let's go and track them down. I've got some mistletoe in my pocket. Are you ready for a kiss? <laughs> okay. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. So the words there are Sue, whoa, I have whoa, to say. Whoa, 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 sorry, sorry. What just, what just happened there? Well, I want to go and do a serious story very, very soon. I've got to wipe the lipstick off my face <laughs> right now. Listen, I don't know. Again, Justin, I have to remind yeah, you. Have yeah. you seen the front pages of the Daily Mail <laughs> regarding the BBC over the last month? Oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Fuel to the fire, my friend. I am very, very sorry. But as we were talking about Christmas, now, she mentioned there, <laughs> Sue mentioned so this smooth. person in Adyfield, yes. who has got these flashing lights up. It's Apparently, it's like something out of the Chevy Chase film <laughs> a few years ago. Yes. He's got the lights up this morning. You heard Sue oh, there saying, dear. I can't believe it. We are going to try and track this person down before nine o'clock Excellent. on your programme. Excellent work, Justin. Thank you so much for that. He's good, isn't he? Isn't he good? He goes from fires to, to Christmas in one fell swoop. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I've got nudists tweeting me, by the way. I think one may be coming on soon. I'm terrified. Uh, when do you think Christmas should start? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I might play a Christmas record. I don't know. I I like them. Now, the Church of England's General Synod is uh, beginning a three-day meeting in London to discuss plans to appoint women bishops. The measure is expected to clear the House of Bishops and House of Clergy, but the vote among lay members is said to be on a knife edge. Christina Rees from Hertfordshire is a member of the General Synod and is on the Archbishop's Council. Morning, Christina. Morning, Ian. We keep having this chat, don't we? (laughs) Why is this debate still going on? I know, why is it still going on? (laughs) Well, hopefully, after Tuesday, we won't be having this discussion at all. It's going on because, um, you know, we have a right in the Church of England to make our voices heard and the minority of people who remain opposed to women bishops um, are doing everything they can to derail the process, even at this 11th hour. Uh, 
Is it a minority? Because I know that when we've mentioned this before, and we will get phone calls today, we get a lot of phone calls saying, this is disgusting, women should not be bishops if, if you know, I'm going to leave the church. All these kind of things. Is it a minority that, that are saying it's, it's wrong? It's a small minority, Ian. Uh, all the, this legislation for women bishops has been voted in all 44 dioceses in the Church of England. 42 out of 44 passed it, and that's just the diocesan synod reps, and we know that people in, in the parishes around the country are even more in favour. So um, the House of Laity in General Synod, at possibly two-thirds in favour, is unrepresentatively low. So, yes, there's a very, very strong and clear majority in favour. And most people I talk to say, what, are you still discussing this? We thought you sorted this years ago. Christina, women shouldn't be bishops because um, Jesus was a man and he was the head of the church and women should not have positions of power in the church. First of all, there Deal was, with that argument. There was no church when Jesus was there and he didn't really set up an institution. He set up a... a a community and a, a way of relating to one another and his message was absolutely radical he called people to follow him and his gospel was not a gendered gospel he didn't say hey follow me all you people here and if you're a female do this and if you're a bloke do that he, it was absolutely the same message he treated women the same as he treated men he did not uh, he did not have one message for women and one message for men. And I think people need to go back to the Gospels, read it, and see actually his amazing approach to women. And we know that, of course, uh, in terms of significance, uh, it was Mary Magdalene who was the first person to have seen the risen Christ. And it's people who saw the post-resurrection Christ who can who we call apostles, and even Augustine called Mary Magdalene the apostle to the apostles. So I think I think people, um, you know, they're different views about this, I think we can say. <laughs> oh, yes, aren't they just... Are we ever going to see a female bishop, Christine? And if so, when? In about a year's time, I would have thought, if, if the vote goes through on Tuesday, which I hope it will, it may be close in the House of Laity, but I hope it will go through. And there are many fine women, and we have many fine women, you know, in in this area who would make excellent bishops along with of course their their brothers it's not that we want to uh, replace a patriarchy with a matriarchy we just would like uh, men and women to share and represent the wholeness of humanity and it's been proven that organizations actually do better when their leadership team is comprised of wait for it ian go on 50% men and 50% Ooh, women. Now you're be- 50, 50, now you're just being crazy, <laughs> oh, Christina. No, for I goodness sakes, get a grip. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> okay, well, listen, Christina, no doubt, we- thank you very much for coming on at this, this ridiculous time in the morning. No doubt we'll speak about this uh, again in the future. 08459 455 555. You've heard Christina there. She's uh, from Hertfordshire, member of the General Synod. She's on the Archbishop's Council. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you completely disagree with women bishops, do give me a call and try and tell me why. Omnium. Omnium. Apparently it's a word it's been said in the news. Oh. Morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots and lots going on uh, in the show this morning. And, and lots that we'd like to get your opinion on, please. It's always good to talk to you about these things. I'm kind of impartial about a lot of it. Some of them i got quite strong views on. Some of it I haven't. But I'm always interested to find out what you think. Uh, about these things. So have a listen. If any of these grab you, um, then give us a call and let me know. 
First up, why do you think so few people voted in the Police and Crime Commissioner elections? There's going to be an inquiry as to looking why, into why there was such a low turnout. Childline wants volunteers in Hertfordshire to go into schools to help younger children understand abuse and how they can stay safe. At what age should they be warned? And shops and other radio stations, the competition, oh, didn't know it existed, are already playing festive hits. And we found a house in Addyfield that's already lit up like the Griswold's house in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Now there's a movie. I've noticed that there's, they've got a, a Christmas movies channel is up already. Showing Christmas movies, I know. When do you think Christmas should start? 3CR at bbc.co.uk. You can um, text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Here's a, here's a question for you. What, the, <laughs> this will show how stupid I am. What's the difference between an enquiry and an inquiry? I, I don't know. I, I keep saying I, I'm alternating. I don't know if you've noticed. I'm alternating when I, I, I talk about the Police and Crime Commissioner's inquiry. I alternate between inquiry and enquiry. They're different things, aren't they? I'm assuming. I don't know. Because let me just call that very quickly. I, I haven't got time to Google it. Sorry, I'm busy doing a show. I know, a little bit busy. Could you just phone me up and tell me the difference? Inquiry enquiry 08459 455 555 thank you very much now you may be wondering what your new police and crime commissioner is going to do for you well after eight o'clock this morning you, you might get a little idea the new commissioner for bedfordshire ollie martins will be swearing in live on the program i don't quite know how that works i'm hoping i get to hold a sword is it like he kneels in front of me and i have to do the sword on the shoulders i'm hoping it's something like that or i spray magic water on it something Well, the commissioners were elected after an appalling turnout all across the country. The Electoral Commission will now launch an inquiry, or inquiry. Tom Gash is from the Institute for Government, a charity working to increase government effectiveness. Morning, Tom. Good morning, Ian. The disappointing turnout has obviously been the main talking point. What does it mean for the legitimacy of this new role with turnouts of 10, 13, 15%? Well, I think we've got to look into the reasons why we've got such low turnout. I mean, the choice of an election in November obviously didn't help matters. People didn't much fancy that cold winter evening. But the other thing is this is a completely new post, and it's been an election at a time when there were no other national elections taking place. There was a by-election in Corby, a couple of other by-elections. But really, people were being asked to go and vote on something they didn't know much about in the middle of winter. And I understand that, they, they, that they're saying they couldn't hold it off until May because budgets have to be set before April. But, but November does seem a pretty poor choice, doesn't it? I mean, I think this is partly impatience on the part of the government to actually implement these new reforms. But the big question will also be whether this actually improves next time around. I mean, holding it in May will help a fair amount, but will the voters really be interested in this new position? What voters want when they go to the ballot box is a meaningful choice between uh, different political options, really. And I don't think there are that many people who are going to stand for PCC and say they want high crime. You know, everyone's going to be there saying we want... We want, basically, mm. to tackle crime, antisocial behaviour, the issues that matter to local people. People aren't going to have that much difference between their candidates. On other elections, say a mayoral election, 
people will be able to choose between the different priorities of the candidates. So candidates will come forward and say, well, I want to spend more on education. Um, others will say, I want to spend more on crime. That doesn't happen in the same way with these single-issue elections. So I think there's a big question in this one over the longer term as well as the short term. We've, we've had uh, calls on this show and, and, and seen elsewhere that there have been concerns about politicising the police. And obviously they have to swear an oath and sign in and say that they won't be political. But they're all, a lot of them... Uh, have allegiances with political parties. People were voting for Conservative or Labour or whatever. Should we be worried about this? Well, I've always found it quite odd in a sense that many people were standing on a um, I'm not a politician ticket because obviously once you're being elected you are a politician and Mm. you do represent a set of values. But I think what the voters may have been concerned about and the reason for the high number of people voting for independent candidates was that they worried about with people being aligned to the main political parties, as you say, and they were wondering whether their local candidate might be more interested in towing the party line. And I think that meant for, for Labour candidates, they worried that Labour candidates might just try and embarrass the government nationally um, and that Conservative governments might try and support the national government. Now, what will be interesting will be to see how PCCs work. Do they work as individuals or do they work as blocks? as a bloc, trying to actually pressure national government. An interesting thing is that although they're elected locally, um, police and crime commissioners still get 75% of their money from the Home Office, from central government. So a lot of the success of police locally will actually depend on how much money they get. So do PCCs actually concentrate on holding the police chiefs to account in their local area, which is is their main job? Or do they spend most of their time lobbying national government in various ways, either for more money or for for party political reasons to uh, embarrass or prop up the government? Tom, many people in Bedfordshire use their vote to make comments about Nadine Doris, the MP for Mid-Beds who's who's in the jungle. Is spoiling their papers uh, really making a stand? I'm not sure, really. I mean, we haven't... I haven't seen very clear figures, and I'm not sure if we have them yet on the number of spoiled ballots in different places. You probably have them there for your your three areas. Um, But it does seem that there were a number of spoiled ballots that were made in protest, either at party politics generally or at this new particular policy innovation. Um, And I think they were higher than even other votes like the mayoral elections where we have a similar voting system. This voting system, as you know, was a supplementary vote system. Uh, which voters still aren't entirely used to in the UK, and it's obviously different from our general elections, and that tends to lead to a higher number of spoiled ballots just by accident. And then on top of that, there was a very small amount of protest, but I don't think it mattered materially in, in these elections. Tom, very quickly, if Labour win the next general election, can they get rid of the PCCs? Are they likely to do that? It's going to be very hard indeed. I mean, once it's always harder to, to sort of take away than it is to give. Um, once people are in power and they have a vested interest in protecting a certain position, it is very hard to change it. And I would be surprised if it was, uh, if it was easy for the Labour or even if they decided to invest the time and effort in doing it. Thanks very much, Tom Gash, from the Institute for Government, a charity working to increase government effectiveness. And in an hour's time, dear listener, we'll have the new Commissioner for Bedfordshire, Ollie Martins, swearing in live on this programme. I think I get to use a sword. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. So I went to Spielplatz, a naturist community, uh, last week on the pretense of finding out if uh, their membership had dropped in the cold months. It turns out it doesn't. This sort will go out in any weather. Well, I asked you to call in if you were a naturist or a nudist, all of those things. Emma's in Little Chalfont. Good morning, Emma. 
Good morning. You're one of these deviants, are you? Uh, <laughs> I'd hardly call us deviants. You we consider ourselves to be perfectly normal and very sane and sensible. You do, well, the thing is, I've seen, I've, you, you messaged me on Twitter and I've seen your picture and you do look, you do look normal. Why, <laughs> you do, I know, it's surprising. Why do you indulge in this? Um, I think indulge is a strange word to use as well. It's really, it's a lifestyle choice for some people. It's an occasional hobby for others. Yeah. For me, I've embraced it absolutely, so I'm a very active naturist. Um, it's harder at this time of year, so sort of landed clubs are obviously more popular. But most naturists you'll find, you know, if they're part of the lifestyle, will enjoy the, the freedom of having no clothes on literally as much as they possibly can. And, and do you do it at home? Do, where, where, how do you practice this? When it's warm enough, yes. Yeah. Um, although I'm tempered by the fact that I've got a couple of rugby lads living with me. Excuse me? Um, so I tend- <laughs> I've got a couple of tenants. I've got a couple of rugby right. tenants living with me. So I obviously I'm a bit more moderate in my naturism. When they're around, I don't practice my naturism. I'm sure um, they'd love not, it, Emma. Not that they'd mind. There was, a, uh, there, was, uh, there was some antics on Saturday night. They think it's hilarious that I'm a naturist. So, uh, well, bearing in mind we have young ears listening... To strip off. What's that? Well, I have to say, bearing in mind we have young ears listening, what, what antics were there on Saturday night? Oh, well, they just, a couple of them came back and they'd had, um, a, one, of my, one of my lads came back and he'd had something to drink. And oh. his friend obviously thought it was hugely amusing. So uh, I was woken up to the sight of two naked men, which is a surprise for me. Sounds like a similar weekend, to, similar weekend to me, Emma. Now, yes. so <laughs> you, you, you do this. And whereabouts do you go and do this? Because I, I was surprised. Spiel Platz, everyone there, by the way, my tongue is slightly in my cheek. Everyone there was wonderful and was lovely and was oh, very accommodating. Yeah. I was surprised that people actually live there. Yes, yeah. It's quite rare. There aren't many naturist communities um, where the people are, there are people in residence. Um, I'm more so overseas. It's obviously colder in this country. But it's a lovely little place. I mean, I've been there a few times. It really is so friendly and welcoming. Um, and the houses, are, it reminds me of sort of Austria in the sort of 1930s. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. This is quaint. Final question, Emma, but, and I, I, this, is, this is not coming from me. This is what people have said to me when I said I was going to a, a naturist camp. Why are naturists, the majority of them, all a little bit overweight and a little bit ugly? You get very few, this is what people have said to me, this isn't necessarily my opinion, very few beautiful young naturists. That's awfully unfair, isn't it? Isn't it, it I just? Mean, it covers the whole spectrum. I'm a member at a club called Diogenes in Chalfont St Peter, and we, we're a family-friendly club, and we literally have newborns right the way up to people who are, you know, obviously um, nearing the end of their lives. And we've got a very strong um, youth membership called uh, Young British Naturism. And they're very vibrant and they're growing. So you get, you get the whole spectrum. I think that's the sort of common, miscon- one of the common misconceptions actually about naturism, that it's, it's generally the older end of the spectrum. We don't have, we don't, we're not blighted with the same sort of body hang-ups that most people are. So we don't, uh, it's a different take. Obviously, we still appreciate the human form, but yes. we don't get hung up about Oh, I was, I was very hung up. <laughs> I was very hung <laughs> if up. If you're new to it, yes. yes. Yeah, that's the is thing, it but you soon lose those inhibitions. There is one school of thought, and we are running out of time. Is it fair to introduce kids to that lifestyle so early, when they're unable to kind of necessarily make that choice? Well, I think it's perfectly natural. That's the thing. The human body is perfectly natural. We're born this way, and this is how we leave this world. Um, and a lot of naturists will choose to bring their children up as naturists so they don't get the sort of body dysmorphia and inhibitions and uh, eating disorders, perhaps. And, you know, the hang-up about whether one should wear this or that and how we should look, we just, we're not blighted with those sort of self-esteem issues. To a degree, we all have things in our mind that plague us, but we just don't have the same degree of things that worry us. Emma, thank you very much for coming on. It's been fascinating talking to you. Pleasure. Lovely to speak with you. Take care. Bye-bye. There we go. 
She seems quite normal. A lot of them did, if I'm completely honest. I've just clicked on my Twitter and refreshed it, and I've had a tweet from uh, at Nash, uh, the Naturist Freedom UK. That young lady I was just speaking to, I think I've just seen her bits. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number, and that's the number that Carol from St Albans has called up. Carol, good morning. Good morning. Ian. What's the hot topic of the morning you've called up to uh, inform us about? Uh, inquire and enquire. Oh, that nonsense! Yes, uh, uh, inquire or enquire. I keep alternating between the different words. What's the difference? An E and an I, but the I, by the look of it in my dictionary, is American. Oh, so hang on. Inquire is, an, is a nasty Americanism, and enquire is the proper British way of saying it. Well, so it looks like. And it, but they mean the same thing. Yes. Oh. OK, maybe you can tell me this then, Carol. What's the what's the, the English way and what's the American way of saying schedule or schedule? I would have said it, it was schedule for us. Is it? Hang um, on. <laughs> oh, she's brilliant! Are you looking it up for us? Yes, I've, I, I've, got, okay. me, I've, got, I've got my dictionary. I'm nearly there. <laughs> it's a big book. <laughs> yeah, the dictionary is, yes, yes. It's got a lot of words in it, isn't it? Yes. S C H. You're listening to B- uh, BBC Three Counties Radio, the first for news. <laughs> Justin, are you okay to wait for a second? <laughs> yes, Carol, Carol's fine. just looking up the word schedule or no schedule problem. in the dictionary for me. Okay. Thank you, Justin. Here we are. Okay, ah, yes. Um. It's pronounced. Oh, hang on. S H E D D. So it's schedule. S H E D D E W L. Schedule's the British way. Yeah. Whereas oh. American. Yeah. Is S K E J A L. Schedule. Thank you very much, Carol from St Albans. Dear listener, I think you may just have heard our new trailer. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. You're a good sport. Excellent stuff. Right. Justin, coming to you in a second. I'll just do the intro and then we'll we'll get to you. I'll set this up. Hang on a second. Right. If you're on the M1, you'll still be able to see the fire near Junction 9. I love this job. It's been burning for nine days. It's at a wood recycling centre in St Albans. And because the fire service is using so much water, residents living near Apps Pond Lane have had their water supply affected. The company, Wood Recycling Services, say there's a possibility the fire could have started by accident, perhaps even by a spent firework. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Daly is at the site. Good morning, Justin. Ian, I'm now going to put on my serious voice for this story. Uh, There is still a very large fire here, but it certainly has reduced in size compared to this time last week. It is affected the water supply to local residents and trade as well at a nearby pub. Steve Williams from the Hollybush in Potter's Crouch said that he's lost thousands over the last week. Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, we've had to close early on a Sunday night, um, which can be busy. Um, our lunch times are good. Um, we had a Monday lunchtime where we had to close. Uh, the Tuesday lunchtime where there were the road closures in, um, there was a smattering of people. So, yeah, definitely. It's been a massive impact. Um, takings wise so there you go that was uh, steve williams who runs the hollybush pub there in Possus crouch joining me live in our radio car here in st albans is ian markwell from hearts fire and rescue ian welcome to the program we have got a statement to come very soon but but you're still receiving hundreds of calls about this fire aren't you uh, certainly we are yes there's uh, lots of calls coming in from members of the public and, and we're grateful for those calls it's, it's fine that they are putting those calls into us but while we've still got our presence here on site our, our control center are taking those calls and just passing the details 
details for the crews here. So we're, we're grateful for them, but yeah, thanks for those coming in. We heard from some locals along this road, the A4147 last week, who said that they'd had enough, they had to move out because their water is being used to fight this fire. You've got an update on that. What's the very latest? Yes, as of Friday, we stopped using any fresh water at all on the site. So we're taking no water from the water mains at all. We're purely recycling the water around the site. So what we're putting on is being collected in a large sump in the corner of the site, and that's being pumped back round and, and used for damping down all of the unaffected piles. So we should not be having any impact on the, uh, the local area. Fantastic to hear. It's day nine. This fire is burning itself out. Come on in. When are we likely to see the end of this fire here by Junction 8 of the M1? Uh, we're certainly going to be here a few more days before we can look to hand the site back across to the operators. As you say, it is diminishing. The, the pile is getting smaller, and, and hopefully we, uh, we can be off-site within the next few days. Now, as you know, we have been trying to track the company down on this programme. You know that, don't you? Yes, indeed. Now, we have got a statement from them. Uh, this statement comes in from Wood Recycling Services Limited, who run this site here, Apspon Lane in St Albans in Hertfordshire. Now, they say we are working along the fire service and their investigation into the cause of the fire. As the fire started on the very top of the wood pile, there is a possibility that it could have started by accident, perhaps even a spent firework. They also go on to say, once the fire has burned itself out, WRS will implement its clean-up plan to remove the waste ash and clear the site. And lastly, they say, it has been very, very frustrating that a fire like this not only stops a good and growing business in its tracks, but it restricts the amount of biofuel available to green power stations at through the winter months when they need it most. Ian, they're saying that this fire could have potentially started by a firework. Uh, you're the expert. What do you make of that? Uh, well, certainly we are carrying out an investigation. Um, it'd be too early at the moment to actually give any great decision as to, to what the cause of this fire was. I, I won't dismiss that as a, a potential cause that the firework was involved, but our investigators will go through what they can find here. Extremely difficult. A, a pile of wood burning like this would be extremely difficult to disprove that as a theory, but we'll be looking into all possible causes. Has fireworks or a firework been mentioned at all with your crew here? Uh, well, certainly the discussions we've had with the site owners, that's something they've come up with previously. Um, for our crews, we'll be taking statements from the first officers that were here on site just to see where the fire started and, and just what they were faced with when they first arrived. OK, and just lastly, the investigation, obviously, lots to do. How long do these investigations normally take? Uh, again, it depends on the type of fire. For this one here, we'll be taking... Um, statements from our officers we'll be looking into the first calls that came in as to where the fire started and then looking at what other we can uh, evidence we can use from site so looking at the cctv that's here uh, and talking to the site owners as to where the fire commenced day nine we've become quite close friends haven't we <laughs> it's good to see you again <laughs> and just lastly year now we're talking about christmas this morning uh, d doing things lighter here a lot of people playing christmas music already lots of christmas lights up apparently one house in 80 field it's flashing this morning when does christmas start for you uh i like to think we won't be here at christmas still having these conversations <laughs> but uh fire service will we'll obviously try to put this out as quickly as possible and then we can get on with some preparations for christmas you're not working on christmas day are you uh, i think i might be on duty on christmas 
Christmas Day this year, yes. Makes two of us working. Ian, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. That's uh, Ian Markwell there from Hearts Fire and Rescue. And uh, once again, that statement has come in. We have been looking for that statement for the last week or so. It's been received. It came in yesterday from Wood Recycling Services Limited. But you heard from Ian there. Certainly a few more days yet before they can officially put this fire out. Can I just extend an on-air invitation to Wood Recycling Services Limited? Come on come on the show and answer the questions. No one, no one wants statements, you know. I mean, the statement's fine. But come on and answer some questions. I think you owe it to the local community. And Justin, uh, can you do me a favour? Of course I can. Can you never interview someone called Ian again? Every time you said, <laughs> Ian, you're an expert. Tell us why this fire started. I was panicking, thinking, well, am I supposed to have done some homework or something Why here? were you panicking when I said, Ian, you're the expert? That would never be the case. Come on. You cheeky little monkey. Thank you, Justin. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. PCC elections. We're having the uh, Bedfordshire uh, Police uh, Crime Commissioner being sworn in on this show just after 8 o'clock, which I'm genuinely very excited about. I believe I get to use a sword. I don't know. I, I didn't really read the notes over the weekend. We'll find out later. We have been asking you, though, why do you think there was such a low turnout? 15% is the national average, which for uh, elections, very poor. Peter's in Wilmer Green. Morning, Peter. Good morning. Why do you think there was such a low turnout? Well, I, I believe that was democracy in action, actually, because people voted with their feet. I mean, we, hadn't, we, we wasn't asked. We wasn't asked what we wanted at all. There was lack of information. There were, it was politicised, certainly, because all I had were four candidates that were politicians. I went to vote because I've never failed to vote in my life, but I spoiled my paper deliberately. May I ask what you did on your paper to spoil it? Four crosses on, on, on all the... Well, a cross on each candidate. It's funny, I was, I was discussing this with, with some members of the team uh, on Friday. Do you think that not going to vote at all is a valid protest? Well, if you voted... Say, for instance, you've got one candidate and it, and it was Hitler. Would you vote? And, and, sorry, where was he standing? Well, wherever. I mean, and what I'm making is a point. Yeah, I, I, I had no candidate that I could vote for. Right. But, no, and I, 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 I sort of get your point, although it's an odd... Uh, if, if we had one well, candidate... it's not odd at all, because well, we're, we're no. talking about a democracy. I don't think any of the candidates that were up we could possibly compare to Hitler in no, the slightest. No, 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 I'm, I'm just making it as an example. Yes. I'm not saying there were, no. but... But, what, what I, but, Peter, what I'm asking is, yes, I, I can understand spoiling the paper is, is, is seen as a recognised form of protest. Yeah. Hitler or not. Uh, but it, do you think that staying at home and not voting is also a, a, a valid protest? Well, yes, yes, indeed, because I believe that's democracy in action. Mm. I mm. do believe that's democracy in action. If someone feels that they, this has been imposed, mm. this has been imposed, why should they vote? Peter, final question. If th- there was one candidate and he was Hitler, how, what would you do? Would you spoil the paper then? I'd spoil the paper deliberately, absolutely. Thank you very much, Peter, and Wilma Green. If you're asking when do you think Christmas starts, Pamela on fa- uh, Twitter has said, as soon as people realise it's Christmas, not Xmas. Well, of course, Xmas, it's not a horrible abbreviation. It's actually the Greek. We'll, we'll get into that a bit later on, shall we? Here's the news and sport with Catherine Boyle. <laughs> Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning! Very excitingly, we've got one of Santa's little helpers coming on the show a bit later on. Fantastic. Fantastic. Coming up in the next half an hour... 
As I just said, when do you think Christmas starts? Lights are going up in, in the three counties and shops are already playing festive hits. When do you think Christmas starts? The reason I was... was um, I always used to think that, uh, that Xmas was a horrible abbreviation, as uh, Pamela has, has picked me up on, on on Twitter. It's not. The X, it's a Greek letter that means Christ. I guess it's... I don't know what, how you'd pronounce it. I can't remember my Greek alphabet. They've got five E's in the Greek alphabet. Imagine trying to learn a language where they have five E's. It's impossible. They, can't, they don't know which E's to use most of the time. That's a fact. Um, but so X, I, I don't know, is it, was it, I don't know, Chris? I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's not a horrible abbreviation for the 21st century. It's actually the Greek way of writing Christ. So it, it is kind of valid. 08459 four double five five double five. Call 08459 four double five five double five. 08459 Childline School Service has called for volunteers in Hertfordshire to help primary schools to protect children in the county. The free and confidential helpline for children today announced a national uh, today announced a national rollout of a new programme which aims to visit every primary school in the UK by 2016. The charity want to help younger children's understanding of abuse and how they can stay safe. We're joined by two people now. We've got Janet Hinton uh, from Childline. Morning, Janet. Good morning. And we've also got Jenny Digley, who's a head teacher. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Ian. Jenny, stay there. We're with you in a second. Let me speak to you first, Janet. What, what is the, the school service? So the Childline School Service is for years five and six primary school children. How, how old are they? Because I always get so confused with these. <laughs> it is confusing. They're aged between nine and 11. Okay, thank you. Um, so our aim is to speak to those primary school children and ensure that they have an understanding of abuse in all its forms, um, to ensure that children know how to protect themselves from forms of abuse and to make them aware of how to get help and sources of help should they ever need it. Um, that's delivered through an interactive assembly and then a workshop with them as well. And when you say teach them about all forms of abuse, there will uh-huh. be people chomping at the bit and, and furious. That, what kind of detail, again, we've got young ears, so be careful. What kind of detail do you go into about this? It's very age-appropriate. Right. Um, what we speak to the children about is, is all forms of abuse. But we, we explain it in a very age-appropriate, very sensitive kind of manner. It's been piloted since January 2011, and it's been worked on with head teachers, with a lot of people um, from kind of the education sector to make sure that it is age-appropriate. So are the, you, I would assume you're not giving kind of graphic descriptions of, of, of what this might entail or anything? Absolutely not. What okay. we're mainly speaking to the children about is is making sure that they feel safe and they feel comfortable. Right. If anything ever makes them feel uncomfortable or unsafe, that it's really important that they get some help or speak to a trusted adult, someone they can speak to, to get some help from or to get some advice. And uh, how are you planning to, to engage the children? Because nine and ten-year-olds, it's hard to keep them focused, isn't it? It is hard to keep them focused, but the assemblies um, are really interactive, so it's, it's all about their ideas, getting them to think about sorts of situations um, and problems and worries, all kinds of problems and worries that children and young people might have, and that's done through kind of um, activities, um, there's a film that I absolutely love to keep them interested, um, and then the workshops as well, it's very interactive and it's all about what they think and getting them to come up with ideas. Um, so it's it's a fantastic thing to do because they are so engaged and they think of such brilliant ideas. Now, Janet, as we, uh, we all know that uh, a lot of abuse comes from within the family and friends of the family. So how how do you broach the subject that, that some people who do bad things 
could be well known to them, could be members of their family. That must be confusing for nine and ten year olds. Yeah, and I think what we what we do, we do a lot of exercises to do with things that might be okay and things might, that might not be okay. So we get them to think about situations that make them feel happy and safe. And we say that if anybody does anything that makes you feel uncomfortable or, or, or worried, um, and that can be absolutely anything, um, that it's really important they speak to a trusted adult and that there are lots of other sources of help that are external from family some Mm. family members might be brilliant people to speak to in fact i'm sure there are absolutely you know millions of millions of family members who are um but we also discuss you know the possibility that there's teachers who might be trusted adults other people they Mm. can speak to if they would like to janet you're looking for volunteers what will the volunteers be doing and what kind of people are you looking for well first of all what the volunteers will be doing is they will be delivering the assemblies and workshops um with us and for us so it's a 30 minute assembly um and then kind of a week later to give them some time to think about it we go back and do the workshops in their classroom so we're looking for volunteers to deliver those assemblies and workshops um we have no type of person at all um we have a really really nice diverse range of volunteers who come from all different kinds of backgrounds some have worked in education plenty haven't it's more about having that kind of commitment and that drive to want to speak and work with young people and to empower them and to educate them as well and you know to put a big be cynical uh, what kind of <laughs> checks are you going to put in place because this could attract the wrong people as well couldn't it our checks are really rigorous. We would do a full CRB disclosure check um, with, as we would with any person that is going to work with young people and would be regulation for any person that's going to work in a school. Um, in addition to those checks, um, there is an interview process which is very stringent. There's also a training process which is very stringent. So it's, um, it's very, very carefully monitored and regulated. Our volunteers always work with somebody like myself that's an area coordinator or they work with another volunteer as well but i think the key is that they have full um disclosure crb checks as anybody that works in a school would have janet hinton from childline thank you very much well a school in hertfordshire very proud of their work keeping their kids safe is ardley st lawrence C of e primary school they won an award at their latest inspection for the work they do around safety the head teacher of the school is jenny dingley good morning do i call you miss dingley what's what's the correct term um well children call me mrs dingley you can call me jenny thank you jenny even at the age of approaching 40, I still get uncomfortable calling teachers by their first names. It's weird, isn't it? It's how ingrained <laughs> that is. Well, Mrs Dingley, thank you. Uh, you've got uh, very young children, under nine. How do you teach safety to them? Well, we, we, we have it as a priority. It's um, you know, one of the basic uh, parts of our school ethos that every single child is heard. Um, yes, you're quite right. We have children that start with us when they are four. And it is an implicit part of the delivery of our pastoral curriculum. Um, You're right, we had uh, outstanding status at our last church school inspection and that uh, inspection quite clearly recognised the strength of the relationships that we have within the school, not just with the children but with their parents, between staff, governors, the whole school community and and everybody is clear about the school's values. So Jenny, just talk me through how your child protection education works. What do you do? Um, Well, we talk to the children, we we teach them to recognise their feelings. 
uh, and around safety, we teach them what they might feel like if they are in an unsafe situation. And that can be an unsafe situation maybe in the playground, it may be at home, it may be in the street, but we teach them how to recognise what they're feeling if they've got um, a wobbly tummy, for example. Uh, because young children find it very difficult to make the distinction between somebody being in a bad mood and just being temporarily unkind, mm. what might be construed as, uh, as bullying. In terms of abuse from, from adults, mm-hmm. one of the problems I hear about this is that the kids are, are, are pro- of course they are, from a very young age, to uh, do whatever adults say, you know, mm. and I guess that it's the power thing, isn't it? Yeah. Is a, is a seven, eight, nine-year-old really going to be able to speak out if an adult is doing something that's making them uncomfortable? We tell them that they have to. Um, as I say, yes, you're, you're, you're right. Um, they are told that they have to do what they're told by, uh, by an adult. But if they, we, we tell them that if they have these feelings, if they feel unsafe, it is really, really important mm. that they speak out and that it is not their fault. It's not snitching. Um, if they've got these feelings, then it is definitely not telling tales. And it is something that they have to, they have to say. And we keep giving that message over and over again. We, we never assume that everybody has heard it. What's made your school so successful around this, Jenny? What's your secret? I think it's because we keep going, because we know our children and our families very, very well. We meet them on the school gate every day. We talk to them. We talk to each other. We're always watching. The children know that they will be heard. Um, They support each other, and that's very, very important that they look out for each other, because we tell them if they see something horrible going on, not that it happens very often, but if they see something horrible going going on, then it's, um, you know, not saying something is as bad as doing it yourself. We very much encourage the children to support each other, to tell if they see something happening um, and not to respond. Jenny, going off on a slight tangent, we're talking about when does Christmas start? I know you're a C of E primary school. Have you started, have you started <laughs> we Christmas the, activities yet? We are in the throes of rehearsing for our, our school nativity. Oh, the school so, nativity, wonderful. Yes. <laughs> do you have to do that thing where you have to find a part for every child? Do we have to what? Sorry? Do you have to find a part for every child? Oh, have you course. got someone who's, who's like the, the, the donkey or something? Yes, Brilliant. we'll be singing Little Donkey this year. <laughs> Excellent. So it's a big part. Well, Jenny, listen, thank you very much indeed for You're coming very on. You're welcome. That's Jenny Dingley, Mrs Dingley to you, who is the uh, head teacher at Aldley uh, St Lawrence C of E Primary School. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. The school nativity play. My boy's too young for that. I can't wait, though. I can't wait for that. Fantastic. We, we, I mentioned that to her at the end because we are asking this morning, when do you think Christmas starts? I went to uh, see Father Christmas at the weekend. I know it felt too early. He was giving out satsumas and chocolate. It doesn't get any better than that, really. But And the shops, loads of the shops in the three counties have got Christmas lights up. Walking around Luton last week, loads of the shops got Christmas lights up, playing Christmas music. When do you think Christmas starts? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We're also asking, why was there such a low turnout at the police and crime commissioners' uh, elections at the weekend? On the email, Steve, 
The reason a lot of people didn't vote is most people had never heard of the candidates before. I did not see anyone for the Hertfordshire PCC canvassing for votes in the town centre. If they want my vote, they've got to make themselves known to me and what their policies are. A lot of people were turned off as soon as they see political parties connected to the job. Surely their political persuasion is only going to sway their views on crime and justice in the areas. Uh, and an anonymous text. Do put your name when you're texting and where you're from. It, you know, it kind of makes it a bit more personal, doesn't it? 81333, starting the text, 3CR. To vote, you need to have informed choice. We had no candidate information. Even tried to look up and found nothing. So husband and I declined to guess as had no informed choice. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. News out of the Middle East overnight remains grim. There have been more exchanges of rocket fire between Gaza and Israel with 80 Palestinians and three Israelis killed in the past six days. The UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon is calling for an immediate ceasefire, but so far there has been no sign of a let-up in hostilities uh, between the Hamas and Israel. Uh, Gil Hoffman is the political correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. Sunday has been terrible. The, you know, dozens of rockets fired again at Israeli civilians and decision that needs to be made by the Israeli government whether to escalate and actually bring in ground forces or whether to not. I don't see Netanyahu sending in ground forces into Gaza. That can only hurt him politically because then soldiers are inevitably uh, going to die. Israelis don't necessarily have the stomach for that. Well, we can get an update on this from our reporter, uh, Gavin Lee. Morning, Gavin. What's the latest news from overnight? The Israeli military is saying another 80 strategic sites in Gaza have been uh, struck overnight. One rocket fired back uh, from Gaza into Israel. But even 20 minutes ago, uh, I'm hearing about a naval artillery fire. So not rockets, but uh, Israeli gunships on the coastal road of Gaza firing at uh, a vehicle or possibly a number of vehicles. The details of casualties um, are still to, to come in. We believe there are, have been a number of injuries. They say, the officials, that it's been a military target. Uh, somebody senior within the... Um, Hamas military, who is believed to be responsible for bringing in uh, longer-range missiles, rockets from Iran, and after rewind six days, that was the thought about the, the head of the military wing who was killed by the Israelis. They said they were targeting him, but clearly civilians have been killed here as well. In 24 hours, uh, the last 24 hours, 120 airstrikes have gone into Gaza, at least 26 people killed, according to Palestinian officials. That number has been growing minute by minute. Uh, in the last 10 minutes, we heard 16, now we're hearing 26 at least 14 of those were women and children. Our team in Gaza saw for themselves, they, they saw one of the bomb sites, and he's met with a man who'd lost all his children in the attack and was working with the Palestinian diggers uh, to try to scoop the rubble away to search uh, unsuccessfully for survivors. And rockets have been fired up until midnight, about 50 rockets from Gaza, and we believe, as I say, just one rocket uh, since then from Gaza into Israel. Gavin, Israel is still talking about um, a significant expansion of its bombardment. Talk of yeah. a possible ground offensive. How likely is that? I mean, the posturing is there, the signals are there, you know, the the aggression is there from the Israelis. 75,000 reservists being called up, preparing on the border, you know, they've been seen there. I'm on the way, in fact, I'll be speaking on your programme from Tel Aviv tomorrow um, to see whether it, it could be likely. There's no reason why Israel wouldn't do it again. It, you know, this happened a number of times before, except for one reason. It, serious pressure right now from the most important ally to Israel, and that's the US. Yesterday, President Obama said he supports Israel, they have to protect uh, its civilians, he said, but they should not 
invade Gaza. William Hague, the British Foreign Secretary, was stronger, actually. He said if they do invade on a ground invasion, it will lose its allies. So that may be a strong enough deterrent for them. Gavin, my, my wife is a reporter, and did you just say you are going to Tel Aviv? Mm, today, yeah. Doesn't that worry you? It, it, well, I, I think any conflict um, worries me, and I've spoken to you from Afghanistan last mm. week. I think anywhere I'm following the four horsemen, the apocalypse tends to to worry me. But I think you have to sort of work out as mitigate, you know, the potential safety factors as possible. You can never eradicate them, but if you, but I get at the moment, Tel Aviv and, and Jerusalem, um, relatively benign as opposed to areas further further mm. south towards Gaza. You know, the, the Iron Dome missile system is kicking in. But yeah, I, absolutely, it's it's not an easy life for for being the the wife or the other half of the mm. reporters, as I'm sure you and my other half are well aware. Exactly, that's what I was, was wondering. Uh, Gavin, uh, take care of yourself and uh, we'll speak to you tomorrow. Thank you very much indeed, Gavin Lee. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. So Christmas, at the weekend I, I saw Father Christmas... It was the real one as well. <clears throat> it, it was the real one. Of course it was. Uh, there was snow. There were uh, camels. There were, were reindeer. And, of course, the kids loved it. They loved it. I mean, the boy's a little bit scared of Father Christmas. He always gets very teary when he meets Father Christmas. And afterwards, he's like, yeah, I enjoyed that. Well, hang on. Why were you crying? But it, is it a little bit too early? All the shops, not all the shops, a lot of the shops in, in Luton and all around various towns in the three counties have got lights up playing Christmas music. Shops and other radio, radio stations are playing Christmas hits. When should Christmas start? 08459 455 555. Give us a call. When do you think Christmas should start? When does it start for you? Well, Ron Horniblue is from Luton. He's been helping uh, Father Christmas for the past 47 years. Good morning, Ron. Good morning to and, you. And first of all, sir, may I salute you for the good work you do with Father Christmas. Thank you very much. Can I just check, Ron? Yes. It's the real Father Christmas, isn't it? It's not one of the, the, his helpers. Um, no, I'm one of his helpers. You're one of, you're, and you, uh, you work with the real Father Christmas. I work with the real Father Excellent. Christmas. So I know that, that he's very busy and that sometimes he sends out other people to... But you work with the real one. We just need to, to clear that up. I certainly <laughs> work with the real one. Yeah. What kind of things do you do for the real Father Christmas, Ron? Well, we, uh, he tells me where I've got to go and yes. uh, the things I've got to do. Uh, and the main thing is to look after the children. What's, can I just ask, going off on a slight tangent, Ron, what, and be honest, because he's not listening now. What's, yeah. what's he like as a boss? Tough? He, he's great. Is he? He's great. Really? He's, he's always got a smile on his face. Yeah, see, I always thought he'd be quite tough as a boss. No, no, he's... Oh, he's, he's, if you do anything wrong, yeah. then he, he is very, very tough. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> of course he is. But, he's got deadlines to meet. Well, of course, of course. And do you know how he does it? Go on. He's the man on Christmas Eve. Yes. And he, he makes time stand still. What? And that's how he does it. That's how he does it. I always wondered. I often wondered. Oh, yes. Well, yes. On, on, on a serious note, when do you think Christmas should start? Well, I normally reckon uh, this weekend. Uh, the weekend I, coming or the weekend just gone? No, the weekend that's just gone. Oh, okay. It's usually around about the 15th, 18th of November. Right. So that gives you like a clear four weeks. 
going up to Christmas. There are some that might... Because I met Father Christmas, as you probably know. I met him on on Saturday night, and he was delightful. He was giving out sweets and satsumas. I can tell you which one were more popular, I'm sure you can guess. (laughs) Uh, But part of me thought, oh, this is a... Father Christmas, this is a little bit too early. Maybe maybe the first first week of December is perhaps... When when I see Christmas things in the shops in July, yes, definitely. That's well, that's pushing it, isn't that it? That is really pushing. Pushing it, it yes. Uh, but uh, no, the the tradition um, is around about the fifteenth, eighteenth of November. Mm. Do you think? And uh, by the way, Ron, whatever you say, we're probably not going to. But do you think we here at BBC Three Counties Radio should be playing Christmas music now? No, it's a bit early. Yeah, it's a bit... It, it, it is a bit early. Uh, come, come... You just said it starts at the weekend, and now you're saying it's yeah. a bit too early, Ron. No, 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 no. Start... <laughs> uh... Oh, I like you. You're good. You are now... Can I just say, Ron, you are now officially my Christmas correspondent. Thank you very uh, you much. Are like, you are the, this show's Christmas correspondent. So, go so when should we be playing Christmas music? I think the beginning of December. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, have, have us in the, in the shops, yes. uh, the first, and uh, uh, opening the lights as well. It's lovely to go down the street and see all the lights, and you've got to have old Santa uh, switching on the lights, haven't you? You've, you've so got he, to have Santa or Robbie out. Williams, one of those two. Robbie Williams did this, the, the, the Oxford street lights, are, of course, famous around the world, You right? people are sad at three counties, aren't you? <laughs> What a sad lot you are. <laughs> Robbie, Williams is, Robbie Williams is the 21st century equivalent of, of Father Christmas. Um, I'll speak to the governor. Yes, OK. Before uh, he, I make but anyway, any Robbie switched on the lights in Oxford Street. They're all sponsored by Marmite. Now, listen, yes. I, I love a little bit of that spread on my toast, but you can't have Marmite Christmas lights. <laughs> You're a bit silly. Ron, listen, final question before I let you go. Sorry, I know know you're a busy man. Uh, The best Christmas song and the worst Christmas song of all time, please. Oh, you've put me on. I have. I'll 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 tell you all the answer. And it's their rivals. The best one, Paul McCartney, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. The worst one, John Lennon, So This Is Christmas. Um... Yeah, yeah, I think you could be right. Yeah, you know I'm right, Ron. Thank you very much. Ron Horniblue, who is now this show's official Christmas correspondent, partly because he's brilliant and partly because he works with the man himself. Father Christmas, excellent stuff. You can give us a call. When do you think Christmas should start? 08459 455 555. And while we're doing it, let's, let's do this, shall we? The best Christmas song and the worst Christmas song. Paul McCartney's the best. That John Lennon one. Oh, when the kids start singing, please... Very quickly, a text from Stuart in Tring about the PCCs and why there was such a low turnout. Are you sure the new PCCs are not part of a new police academy film? The whole thing is a joke. In Tring, 20 people had voted between the start and 6pm. Spoilt papers will be due to the fact there was no independent people, just more MP candidates wanting to get jobs for the boys and join the gravy train. You can't knock a good tr- gravy train, Stuart. It's the exciting stuff happening after 8 o'clock. The new police and crime commissioner for Bedfordshire, Ollie Martins, is going to be sworn in live on this programme. I'm hoping, I, I think, I don't know, I've not really read the notes. I think I get to hold a sword and he kneels in front of me. We'll find out after the news and sport with Catherine Boyle. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's eight o'clock on Monday, the 19th of November. How do we get here so quickly? We're asking this morning, when do you think Christmas starts? I saw Father Christmas at the weekend. 
he was delightful. It felt maybe a little bit too early. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Lots coming up in this hour including the new police and crime commissioner for Bedfordshire, Ollie Martins, will be sworn in live on this programme. He was elected by 18% of voters. Why do you think that so few people bothered to vote? Childline wants volunteers in Hertfordshire to go into schools to help younger children understand abuse and how they can stay safe. At what age should they be warned? And we're going all over the place this morning. TV presenter Richard Arnold became the latest contestant to leave Strictly Come Dancing. Was he the right person to go? I don't know. I didn't watch it. I don't watch that nonsense. But we will get the verdict from our eight-year-old Strictly correspondent, Layla. If you want to get in touch, you can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Oh, and this is the best way to do it, let's be honest. You can give us a phone call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, history is about to be made on this show. I know, I'm very excited. We can talk to one of our new police and crime commissioners. Ollie Martins was elected for Bedfordshire in last week's election, and a bit later, just a few minutes, he's going to be sworn in live on air. Have a listen to this. This is part of his winning speech. For those who believed that they were voting for Ollie Mers for uh, police commissioner for Bedfordshire, uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, the electorate clearly haven't seen much X factor with this election albeit our turnout here in Bedfordshire was above the national average, reaching the giddy heights of one in five in Luton. But it is no wonder that the Mid-Beds MP prefers the reality of the Australian jungle to the reality of this election. Who in their right mind would choose to hold an election in mid-November for a new position, then not facilitate sufficiently informing the electorate about the new role, let alone enable candidates to communicate with people as, in, as is the norm in such elections. Yet, in the great irony of this dogmatic reform, it will fall to a large number of Labour police and crime commissioners up and down the country to make this role effective and relevant to people. There we go, that was uh, Ollie Martins uh, b- uh, making his winning speech. He joins us in the studio now. Good morning, Ollie. Morning, Ian. Uh, we're also uh, joined by John Jones, who is the vice chairman of the Bedford Bench. Good morning. Good morning. And you will be swearing in Ollie later on, is that, is that right? That's correct. Okay, and I, I noticed that there is no sword or anything like that. I've completely misunderstood it, haven't I? <laughs> You've completely misunderstood that. <sighs> That's disappointing, but John, I look forward to it. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Ollie, if we can turn to you first, the, the, the turnout in Bedfordshire was, was very low, 18%. Uh, how much of a mandate do you think you have when so few people voted for you? Well, I think I have as much of a mandate as I would in any other election. I mean, the turnout is disappointing, and as I mentioned in my speech, it's due to this uh, comedy of errors of the way in which the election's been organised. But we are where we are, and I think now it falls to me to demonstrate the relevance of the role and to ensure that next time it comes up for election... Uh, people feel that it's important to take part, and that's the challenge that I now face. What are your priorities going to be? I think that the role kind of starts starts Thursday, Friday. What what, what are the first things you're going to be looking at? Well, I've got to set a budget. I've got to draw up the strategic plan, which has got to encapsulate the priorities of the people of Bedfordshire in relation to crime. Uh, And I've also got to get to work in building strong and effective partnerships because this is one of the great advantages, I think, of uh, of the... commissioner's role uh, is that capacity to build partnerships across police other with other constabularies uh, 
within local government and across the public sector generally in the criminal justice system. Now, the role, as we know, is, is not meant to be political. And I was curious as to why in your speech you uh, were bad-mouthing the Conservatives rather than talking about your, your policies and, and what you were going to achieve. Why did, why did you go for that angle? Well, because I think that was the significance of the election. You know, I've spent uh, months talking to people around the county um, about what they think about crime and so on, and the biggest thing that is happening with the police at the moment is the 20% cuts that the government are inflicting. So, you know, it was important that I reflected that in the speech, but yes, you're right, the election is now over, I've won the election, and now I want to uh, get down and get to work, and that includes working with people across all parties, uh, and I'm determined to do that um, you know, for the benefit of all the people of Bedfordshire. Bedsharts and Cambridgeshire forces were going to join up to outsource some police services. Uh, and you've said, are you going to stop that happening? Is, is that your plan? I'm not going to go down the route of G4S. Um, however, I value what collaboration with, the, with Hertfordshire and Cambridgeshire um, has achieved uh, for Bedfordshire Police um, and I want to continue to work at building that relationship and I think there are further benefits that can be gained from that relationship. So you're not going to pull out of that entirely. Are you, are you going to st- stop the plans for privatisation of, of all, what are being labelled the yeah, backroom we're staff? Not, I mean, what I'm against is sweeping privatisation and that includes the G4S. So we're not going down that route but... You know, there's got to be a process of negotiation with my colleague David Lloyd in Hertfordshire and Sir Graham Bright in Cambridgeshire. And, you know, collaboration, it's, it's a fact of life um, and it's going to continue and I want to work at making it a success. Are you saying categorically that, that the police in Bedfordshire, none of those uh, jobs will be privatised? I'm saying there will not be sweeping privatisation. So there will be some privatisation? There may be use of the private sector, yes, but it won't be in a sort of David and Goliath right. relationship which the G4S proposal so was setting up. I thought I read it, uh, o- online that you'd, you'd said there would be no privatisation. You were going to put no, stop to been, that. No, I've been very careful to say that it's sweeping privatisation, uh, but I can't totally rule out okay. co- um, collaboration with the private sector. Which but, it the- will be, but it will be um, in a way that has clear benefits... Uh, for Bedfordshire um, that protects staff's um, terms and conditions and doesn't entail cuts to terms and conditions. Which jobs in the Bedfordshire Police will be privatised? Well, I can't say that now. I mean, I've only just, I've only just, taken, over the, I've only just taken over the role. Have you got no idea? No, no, I haven't. Okay. It's, you know, but I'm very clear. You know, the problem with the G4S was the reliability of that organisation mm-hmm. after the Olympic security shambles and the fact that it was setting up a David and Goliath-style relationship that I don't think was in the long-term interests either of the people who work for the police or for Bedfordshire taxpayers. OK. In the run-up to the election, we spoke to uh, local people about how crime is affecting them, and obviously it's a, it's a huge worry for a lot of people. One long-running problem is the Hightown area of Luton, uh, where they're having problems with prostitution and associated low-level crime. What would your approach be to something like that? Well, I live in Hightown, so I know about the problems right. very well. Um, I mean, I think uh, it's neighbourhood policing and uh, having 
uh, a dedicated local presence that uh, is the best approach to tackling problems like that. Um, and that's why I'm going to be fighting very hard to protect that sort of policing. But it is going to be a real challenge. You know, we are, because of the 20% police cuts that I've mentioned, uh, we are suffering a, a pretty horrendous fall in police strength in this county. So, you know, that's going to be a real challenge. But I think that's the right approach. And I think that's the approach that people value. Uh, the, the, the line that everyone spouts is we want to see more police on the street. Is that possible to do with the cuts that are being made? Like I say, it's going to be very difficult. And, you know, I was very careful not to promise that I'm going to put more police on the street. I mean, I think it's not a very exciting promise, but the most, you know, what I'm going to be working for is to maximise the number of people that we have on the street. The, the, the Chief Constable, uh, if... It comes to the crunch, and he is uh, following a policy that you don't agree with. Will do you have the power to sack him? It's something I've not talked about because I think if we ever get to the point of uh, any police commissioner um, sacking their chief constable, then I think essentially they failed. Mm. You know, because um, the whole point of the role is to build a good working relationship with the chief constable and to have a shared vision for the the police service so you know it's i, I hope i never have to go there and uh, but people how will people be able to get get in contact with you and get their message across and, and, and tell you what they want well, I'm going to make myself as accessible as possible in terms of social media, in terms of going out and attending meetings. Um, and, you know, I'll continue knocking on people's doors and uh, talking to them about their priorities. On a human level, you've got this, this job, you've been campaigning for it for a while. Are you terrified? It's a, there's a lot of responsibility, <laughs> isn't there? Um, somewhat daunted, but... You know, I think if you look at my CV in terms of the political experience that I've had and the work with victim support, I don't think you could have had a better apprenticeship for this sort of role. So to that extent, you know, I think I'm up to it, but it's a serious responsibility and, yes, it's quite daunting. I'm sure it is. Well, listen, John Jones is here with us. He's a magistrate. He's vice chairman of the Bedford Bench. And, and John, you're going to, to swear Ollie in now. Yes, I am, Ian, and th thank you for that introduction. And good morning, Mr... Martins, I've been asked to administer the Declaration of Acceptance of Office. And so I'm going to ask you to repeat the following words back to me. If you would, please, I will take them in small chunks. So here we go. I, Oliver James Martins of Luton, Bedfordshire. I, Oliver James Martins of Luton, Bedfordshire. Do hereby declare that I accept the office... Do hereby declare that I accept the office... Of Police and Crime Commissioner for Bedfordshire. Of Police and Crime Commissioner for Bedfordshire. In making this declaration... In making this declaration... I solemnly and sincerely promise... I solemnly and sincerely promise... That during my term of office... That during my term of office... I will serve all the people of Bedfordshire... I will serve all the people of Bedfordshire in the Office of Police and Crime Commissioner. In the Office of Police and Crime Commissioner. I will act with integrity and diligence in my role. I will act with integrity and diligence in my role. And to the best of my ability. And to the best of my ability. Will execute the duties of my office. Will execute the duties of my office. To ensure that the police are able. 
to ensure that the police are able to cut crime and protect the public. To cut crime and protect the public. I will give a voice to the public. I will give a voice to the public, especially victims of crime, especially victims of crime, and work with other services, and work with other services to ensure the safety of the community, to ensure the safety of the community, and effective criminal justice. And effective criminal justice. I will take all steps within my power. I will take all steps within my power to ensure transparency of my decisions. To ensure transparency of my decisions, so that I may be properly held to account by the public. So that I may be properly held to account by the public. I will not interfere with the operational independence of police officers. I will not interfere with the operational independence of police officers. Thank you, Mr. Martins. If you'd like to sign. The declaration then at the bottom. And I will countersign. Say that you signed it in front of me. Fantastic. Let me shake your hand, sir. Well done. Congratulations. Thank you, Ian. John, thank you very much for that. That was a long one, wasn't it? Well done. <laughs> it's, 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 it's longer than getting married. Uh, Ollie, listen, congratulations. Thank you. Do you what, what should I call you? What's your, your proper title now? Oh, you just keep calling me Ollie. That's there we fine. go. That's that's the way to be. Ollie, thank you very much for coming in. John, thank you very much for that. There we go. A little bit of history on the show. Who'd have thunk it? I do recommend you follow at JVS Show on Twitter because he was drunk at the weekend. How dare you? You were. No, no, I wasn't. I'd had I'd had just a couple of cheeky pinos. You, your family and your friends should take away your access to the internet <laughs> when you're like that because I was I was not even being funny. I was just saying stuff, and he would reply going, "This is him on Twitter." <laughs> Oh, you're so funny. Uh, <laughs> and then I wrote something back that wasn't even a joke, was serious. And it was a longer... <laughs> oh, oh, why, why, why? I don't remember what you'd written that No, of course serious. you can't. You were drunk. <laughs> you were drunk. I you shouldn't be allowed. Near... I don't get drunk. I can't get drunk anymore. <laughs> you built up a tolerance. <laughs> My tolerance is so high. You were very, very entertaining, it has to be said. And Thanks. it was nice on Twitter because the whole world, well, the whole Three Counties family, yeah, I'm told I have to say that, were <laughs> communicating and having lots of fun and a bit of banter. Yeah. And I really felt part of a team for the first time in my life. Did you really? Yes, I did. You, you're very much part of our team. Well... That's up for debate. <laughs> but um, um, my favourite was Paul Scoynes, political reporter. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's not anymore. We were going to be Xbox buddies. It's a video game system. And uh, then he sent me a text. I probably shouldn't be saying this on air, actually, but I've started it, so I have to finish it saying, um, I don't think I can play Xbox with you anymore. My wife's not very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Scoynes' Paul wife Scoynes wouldn't play Xbox. Yeah, yeah, she wouldn't let him play Xbox. Why not? He hadn't tidied up the house. <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't done the tidying up. Really? I don't know if it was his wife or his mum. I'm, I don't know, but he hadn't done the tidying up, so he can't play Xbox anymore. Oh, bless him. Have you been playing Xbox with Paul Scoynes? I was attempting to, and then he sent me a... a, a what, a, from your home? Yeah, 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 online. You can a, do this? little headset. little headset when we would have, would have chatted together. Oh, gosh. Bitched about the 3CR staff. Really? Yes, oh, we would have done word. a lot. Did you have a nice weekend, though, my love? It was, uh, yes, it was very nice, thank you. Yes. Yes, yesterday. Wasn't it beautiful yesterday? If it had only been just a few degrees warmer, it would have been bikini weather, I think. Don't you think? What? Why, why are you looking at me like that? Let's <laughs> see how serious your next. Uh... Oh no, it's okay. We can joke about. It. We can joke going into that. No, you can't. No, it's not a serious topic, is it? It's a silly one. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's a, a serious, serious one. topic. Well, let's let you do it, and let's let, let the listener decide. Coming up on the big phone in today: Should the church allow women to be bishops? See, I think it's a serious topic. 
Uh, it's an issue that's divided the Church of England for years, but this week it must make a decision on whether to create women bishops. If it rejects the proposal, backed by both the outgoing and incoming Archbishop of Canterbury, it could be another decade before it can be considered again. Observers say it could be a knife-edge vote. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views on this. Should the church allow women to be bishops? Uh, particularly any women listening who don't think it's a good idea. I really want to speak to you. I want to find out why there is mm. still such hostility against it. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Should the church allow women to be bishops? No. Or yes, it's up to you. I'm impartial. No. No, I, I do think they should. I was being, I was being flippant. Right. I tell you why I was being flippant. You know, I went to Spielplatz on I, uh, Thursday. I saw a picture. The new, well, the picture that I've tweeted is the picture that... The, you okay? Got something in the back of your throat. <clears throat> the picture that I tweeted was the picture they took of me. I said, look, I don't mind having a picture taken, but I, I don't want nudie pictures. So they had towels on covering... Did you take your clothes off? No, no, no. Of course no. I didn't. What do you think I am? Uh, a deviant. <laughs> uh, not that they are. <laughs> No, I was in the sauna. I was in the sauna, fully clothed. <laughs> it was hot. But so they took a picture with all of them with towels around their, their naughty bits. And then very quickly, their cameras came out and the towels dropped. So there are loads of pictures of them with their winkles and everything. Everything was... But the, the thing was, I walked into their club room and they're all sat there. Not a care in the world. Listening to you. <laughs> How exciting is that, knowing... <laughs> That every morning, and it was really loud, it was too loud, so turn this rubbish off. Every morning, there are 20, 30 naked people, all their wobbly bits out and about. In their club room. Listen, in their club room, listening to you. It must make you feel proud. Well, that's really nice. That should bring you back down to earth after last week's highs. <laughs> 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 They're all big fans of Jonathan Vernon Smith. <laughs> well, that's delightful. It started my week off brilliantly. <laughs> you can go now. Thanks. Just get my bits together. And next time, could you wear clothes, please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. I'll press this, shall I? Let's get some composure. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties I was being, Radio. I was being flippant. Of course, it's a very important topic, the, uh, the debate on uh, women bishops. And it's always a good phone-in. I, I, I look forward to listening to Jonathan talking about that now. Do you watch Strictly Come Dancing at the weekend? I didn't. I don't need to, because I have people who watch it for me. I have a team of Strictly correspondents, and today's Strictly correspondent, eight years old, her name is Layla. Good morning, Layla. Good morning. Now, Layla, we haven't spoken before, have we? No. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How old you are, what you do for a living, what your husband does. <laughs> um, I'm eight years old. Yep. I go to school. Uh-huh. Does that pay well? And I don't ha Yes, and I don't have a husband. You're, you're divorced. I'm sorry to hear that, Layla. Uh, well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully something will sort itself out. What, what do you do at school? <laughs> um, we do maths, mm -hmm. literacy, mm -hmm. reading, writing... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do maths, do you? Uh, you do maths. You do maths, do you, Layla? Yeah. Are you good at maths? Yeah. Three times nine. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, you've not got a calculation now, have 27. you? 27. Yeah, well done. Okay, good work. Uh, four times 12. 48. Oh, okay, well done. 16 times 13. <laughs> yeah, you're not so good at maths. Not as good at maths now you haven't got your calculator. Uh, or your Xbox or your PlayStation or your Wii. Now, um, uh, how tall are you, Layla? I don't know. Okay, uh, what colour eyes have you got? Blue. And your hair? Blonde. Name of your best friend? Uh, 
Anna Foster. Best teacher at school? Miss Moyer. Well, hang on a second. Well, I, I'm not, I just heard a whisper there. Is that? Are you being fed the answers by your mum, Amy? <laughs> Is she feeding you answers, Layla? <laughs> no. Oh, she better not be. I'll be playing back the tape, and if I find evidence of that, she will. Now, listen, <laughs> l- l- on to the, seri- the serious matters at hand. Strictly Come Dancing, do you like it? <laughs> Why are you giggling so much? <laughs> Stop, <laughs> Stop giggling. This is serious, Layla. For goodness sakes, this is a very important job you've got here. <laughs> Calm down. Now, don't, don't, do you like Strictly Come Dancing? Yeah. Why? Because I like dancing. Can you dance yourself? Yes. Go on, then. You can't see me. Oh, yeah. Yes, I can. Of course I can see you. <laughs> Good dance. Excellent work. Who is your favourite Strictly Come Dancer? I don't have any favourite. sure you don't have any favourite? You're must... very good. Oh, listen, I, know, I don't know if they gave you the you-have-to-be-impartial speech. You, you don't on this show. Is There must be one and you think, oh, she's brilliant or he's really, really good. Lewis and Flavia. Okay, I like, Fla- I like Flavia's hair. She's got good hair, hasn't she, Flavia? Yeah. Who is... Who's the worst? Um... I think they've gone out pretty much second. Who was that? Which one was that? Um, Jerry Hall and Anton, I think. Oh, yeah, they were, oh, they were awful, weren't they? What on earth were they doing? Do you even, Layla, do you even know who Jerry Hall is? Um, I think she's a famous actress. No, she was married to Mick Jagger. Do you know who Mick Jagger is? Um, no. No, who do you, who do you think Mick Jagger is? You hear the name Mick Jagger, what kind of, what kind of job does it sum up? Talk, you can't shrug your shoulders. Yeah, you can't um, shrug your shoulders, Layla. That was good advice from Mum. That you do have to talk. <laughs> so if I say to you, right, I'm going to say to you, Mick Jagger. What kind of job do you think Mick Jagger does? Bin man. In many ways, Layla, he does collect rubbish. Yes, he does. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. You've got, you've got the job. Well done. Uh, who went out this weekend? As, as I didn't see it, who went out? Uh, Richard and Aaron. Okay, good. And, and, and was it right that they went? It was, it was a big show at Wembley this week, wasn't it? It was quite big. Yeah. And they didn't seem to put as much effort into their dance as they could have done. Are you saying that Richard Arnold was lazy? Well, not really, but he didn't have enough time training on a dance that he wasn't that much into. Okay, I'm just trying to get a quote that Catherine can use in the news at half past eight. Would you say, Layla, as my correspondent, that Richard Arnold was rubbish? I'm going to take that. I'm taking that as a yes, Catherine. You can use that, Layla. Listen, you've done you've done a fantastic job. Uh, very quickly, who do you think is going to win? Um, probably Denise and Jay. There we go, Layla, fantastic. She's at one of our new Strictly Come Dancing correspondents. If you've got a kid who's ten or under, boy or girl, and you think they'd be up for it, could you just send us an email? 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Just put Ian Lee, Strictly, in the title. Tell us a little bit about them, and we may be in touch. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning! It's the last half an hour of the show. Who'd have thunk it? Jonathan Vernon-Smith is on at nine o'clock. Always worth a listen. Coming up, 
I've been to see a group of naturists in Hertfordshire. You can hear my, in inverted commas, report in the next few minutes. But what do you think about naturism? Is it natural or just a bit nasty? I'm being followed on Twitter now by a load of nudists. Oh, dear, please. Leave me alone. I'm not coming. I'm not coming to take my clothes off in front of you. I just, I just can't function like that. I'm old-fashioned. I'm quite Victorian. I like to keep my privates private. Thank you very much, indeed. 08459 four double five five double five is the phone number to talk about nudists or Christmas. When do you think it should start? Lights are being switched on all across the three counties. Shops and other radio stations are already playing Christmas music. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, has uh, been to find out what you think. Morning, Justin. Yes, hello, Ian. I'm in uh, Adyfield in Hamel Hempstead this morning. We have tracked down the family with the Christmas lights oh, outside their home. They will be joining us on the radio before nine o'clock. Brilliant. I've also been into Prudence Bakery in Adyfield this morning. Ooh. Take a listen to this. Well, I'm surrounded by beautiful women in this bakery <laughs> here. Ladies, when does Christmas start for you? Um, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, that's a bit late, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's a religious thing. And we're good Roman Catholic women, so that's when it starts. So when you go into a shop and you hear Christmas music, does that wind you up? Because if you're saying Christmas Eve, surely now it's a bit too early to be playing Christmas songs. Yes, we think so. <laughs> Absolutely. I think um, beginning of December, that's the time to start, not before. It does, yeah, it does annoy me. OK, and Madam, what about yourself? When does Christmas start for you? Are you enjoying the Christmas songs on the radio and in the shops at the moment? Yes, I am, yes. I, Christmas starts for me as soon as possible. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, I so love Christmas. So how far do you go back? What, September maybe? Do you start celebrating then? No, but it's, I just like hearing Christmas records. I mean, obviously, I start to celebrate it from 1st of December onwards mm. That's, and then carry it on as long as possible oh, that Christmas day around your house is fun isn't it it is it sounds absolutely <laughs> marvellous and uh, one final question here uh, for the lady around the back who's got a knife in her hand oh my goodness me she looks scary uh, what, what's your name Joan Joan when does Christmas start for you you're the last person we're talking to when does it start beginning of December yeah uh, when we get over the remembrance I like that to, to happen along with bonfire night and then remembrance weekend and then in December, start Christmas. Think of carols, listen to the music then. But before that, no. OK, one final question. Just around the corner, there's a house which has got their, their Christmas decorations up already. Uh, is that just outrageous? Way too soon? It's too early for me, unless someone's doing it as a charity thing. That's different. Obviously, some people do that, and then they collect money for a certain charity. It's fine. But if it's just for show, that's far too early. You can put that knife down now. I will do. <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> So there you go, some Justin, characters there. Justin, are you on heat this morning? Yeah. In the first hour, you're trying to kiss someone. Yeah. Then you're going in there and... Hello, ladies. <laughs> Hello, ladies. For goodness sakes. What's the problem? Just doing my job, you know. What? So, so you've heard some views there. We're outside this home. Uh, yeah. The lights are up and they're celebrating Christmas already. This family will be joining us live across Bedsarts and Bucks before nine. The Christmas lights up already outside the house. Is that just too early? I'm listening to your little soundtrack you've got in the background <laughs> it's there. It's nice, isn't it? I love the production values you've started yeah. to employ. Well, <laughs> J- Justin, can I ask you, what, the best yeah. and the worst Christmas single? Uh, the best Christmas single of all time, I would probably say, uh, would be a Motown track. Oh, go on. Um, I'd probably say anything by the Jackson 5 or Stevie Wonder. Their Christmas albums are absolutely did incredible. They do, did the Jacksons do a Christmas album? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. did not know that. Did a okay. great Christmas album, oh. and, and Stevie Wonder as well. Yep. Um, as for the worst, um, anything by... 
anybody from the X Factor. I just hate that. The Christmas number one every year. It's so boring. Give it a rest. Come on. Justin Daly will be back with you later on. Thank you very much indeed. 08459 Now. Oh, they've got a Christmas text. Let me quickly read that. 81333. Starting your text, 3CR if you want. Re and Flittick. We put our Christmas decorations up the first weekend in December, but that's only because the kids want them up. If I had my way, decorations wouldn't go up until two days before Christmas and will be taken down the day after Boxing Day. Oh, come on, you miserable old so-and-so. For goodness sakes. Now, it's chilly, isn't it? Very cold. Top temperature of 10 degrees. Well, spare a thought for those people who don't have clothes, or do have clothes, but decide to whip them off at a moment's notice. I went along last week to Spielplatz, it's a naturist community in Hertfordshire, to see how they've been getting on during this particularly cold and wet year. Very disappointed that you have got clothes on. What is that about, Tina? Well, I had to come out and find you. You got lost. It is very, very nippy out there. The sun is on, and... If you will, I will. I've got, I've got a bad leg, so I can't do that. You can sit down. Listen, the thing I'm concerned about is, is during the winter, when it gets cold, do you find that, that your members shrink? Uh, some naturists are just sunbathers, so they come in the summer, but we're a community, so people live here and our members come in. What do they get out of being here? You can just live with no clothes on. It's just brilliant. Can I go and talk to these people down here? I'm going to bring my cup of tea, although I'll try not to spill it anywhere. I don't want to hurt anyone. Morning, morning, nudists. Morning. Morning. Right, Ken, you've been here since 1979. Yes. You look like a normal enough bloke. Why'd you get involved with this lot? <laughs> well, I find that it's it's much more relaxing to be without clothes than uh, than with them. When you're working, for example, I mean, I uh, I get just too hot in clothes. Yes. And, uh, it's, it is nice to be able to take them all off. It's no good walking around in a pair of hot trousers when, you're, when you've got uh, your, your top half of your body without clothing. It was, it was difficult to start with and um, uh, it was just a question that you, you re- suddenly realise that people are not looking at you as a body, they're looking at you as a person. If there's some hot young thing here, do you, do you, do you check them out? Are you allowed to check them out? Are there rules? <laughs> Uh, I suppose. Well, I mean, it depends how you talk to them, really. And yes. uh, you, 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 there's, there's, there's no, there's no room for in this club for any kind of uh, lecherous attitude no towards. towards no, 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 at all. Okay, listen. You, you, you stripped off, Tina. Yes. You're stripping off. Yes, I'm. I'm stripping. I'm keeping my clothes on. I'm old-fashioned like that. But we're going to go in the sauna. Okay. Let's go. Okay. I'll take my shoes and socks off. Naked feet. Oh, steady. Steady. Okay, here we go. We're coming into the sauna. Oh, blimey. There's loads of naked people. Shut the door. Yeah. Shut the door, yes. Yeah, shut the door. <laughs> you, um, you look like a... I'm going to make eye contact. You look like a relatively normal young lady. What are you doing with this lot? <laughs> well, we are all normal here, aren't we? <laughs> Well, I would say some are more normal than others, perhaps. Well, it depends on the perspective, doesn't it? I saw you stripping off, not that I was watching, (laughs) out of the corner of my eye, for journalistic reasons, I saw you getting your kit off out there. You had no qualms about it. You did it very quickly. I just feel like we came naked to this world, you know, so there's no shame in a naked body. Tina, do you think I'm I'm, going to get out in a second, because I'm wearing clothes in a sauna. You're going to get out and take them off, are you? No, no, listen, I'm old-fashioned and I kind of like 
Is it hello? Hello. <laughs> God. I can't, I quite, I don't know where to look. I like clothes. That's not bad, is it? No, that's not bad. I like clothes too, but at the moment, we're in the sauna, we're all yes. naked. Yes. You're the perverse one. <laughs> she's, she's got me on a technicality. Oh, here comes another naked person. I'm going to go home and think about my mum. Bye. Now, when I go and see my therapist later on, I can ask... That's a Freudian ending to it, isn't it? Genuinely, that was the only thing... I, I did panic, and that was the only thing I could think of. I'm going to think of my mum? Oh, my God, that's wrong on so many levels. Uh, you can see the picture of me at Spielplatz, and they were wonderful people. They were all... all, all um, they, they took it in the spirit in which it was intended um, on, on the Facebook page. If you go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, scroll down a bit, or we've got a little album, an Ian Lee album of, of various photos throughout the show. Um... You can see it in there. It's also on Twitter. If you go uh, search for at BBC 3CR and uh, you can find it all on there. It's an odd thing, isn't it? And it, <clears throat> that, that everyone was so relaxed and so d- 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 normal. And when I went in, they weren't all naked. They, they, they kind of stripped off as, as the interview progressed. But there was one guy that was just sat there, legs akimbo, uh, just staring at me. <laughs> It was odd. And I do, listen, I am very Victorian and very old-fashioned in my attitude towards these things. And I just felt a little bit uncomfortable about the whole thing. But that, that's just me. Maybe you love it. If you'd love that kind of stuff, if you're thinking, well, do you know what? Now I've heard this, I think I might go and uh, have a little look at the Spielpatz. They were telling me it's been there since like 1929, and in World War Two, loads of sold American pilots flew over it, saw it, and landed in a field nearby and went in t- t- to relax. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. <clears throat> now, JVS, he's on after nine o'clock this morning, the big phone in. Should women be allowed to be bishops? But lots of other stuff as well. I do like his show. That will be a cracking phone in. I was being slightly flippant when he came in earlier on. It will be a cracking phone in because it's one of those things that people get very passionate and very angry uh, about. Um, so they will uh, be uh, th- 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 calling up. It, it will start quite a good. Um, it will start quite a good argument, I would think. Also, for me, the, I love the JVS show. The best hour for me is the consumer hour, the last hour, eleven to twelve, where people phone in with their consumer problems and he sorts them out. And, and the thing is, he actually, him and his team do actually sort them out. And Jonathan will make a large percentage of those phone calls after the show. And it, I have been in the office a couple of times. I normally I go home way before then as soon as this show is finished boom i'm out i'm in the car i'm gone but he will make those phone calls and he's he's very firm on the phone you wouldn't want to get a to to be a company and get a phone call from jvs you might laugh it off you might even be a bit aggressive and a bit nasty and call him a disgusting pervert as one company has done all that gets him angry you wouldn't like him when he's angry Jonathan Vernon Smith on from nine o'clock. Uh, if you want to get in touch with them now, you can start emailing JVS Show at bbc.co.uk. If you want to give me a call, last fifteen minutes of the show, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. You can text as well, eight one three double three, starting your text three CR. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. They still would like to. Or maybe not. Maybe we don't have Kate there. Let's just see. No, we don't. Oh, how exciting. She's got lost somewhere along the tubes, I believe. The team are working at a feverish pace to bring her to us. Let's find out. Let's find out. Where's it going to be? Oh, it's exciting. It's almost as exciting as when that man got sworn in live on air. It's the weather with Kate Kinsella. Hello. Good morning. Thank you very much, Kate. Kate. 
Always exciting when things like that happen. The whole BBC could have collapsed due to my stupidity and my eagerness to get to the weather. But luckily, I don't think anyone noticed. If you're on the M1, you should still be able to see the fire. Sort of near Junction 8, as you, as you drive up uh, going northbound, you can see it from quite some distance away. Been burning for nine days. It's at a wood recycling centre in St Albans. And because the fire service is using so much water, residents living near Apspond Lane have had their water supply affected. The company, Wood Recycling Services, say there's a possibility the fire could have started by accident, perhaps even by a spent firework. Well, due to the amount of water needed, residents have been left with uh, reduced water pressure and at times no water at all. Last week we spoke to Catherine Reardon. She has a two-year-old child and lives around 500 yards from the fire. She was considering moving into a nearby hotel. Yeah, I think that's going to be the next option for us. We need to start looking into that because, um, you know, there is no sign of it stopping. They're saying at least another week at the moment um, before it can go out. So if that means another week without water, then absolutely. And her neighbour, Stacey Gorham, also has a young child and she's been forced to move out of her home because of the lack of water. Initially, I left because of the power cut, so I have storage heating. So if you don't have any electricity, then you don't have any heat. So I lost um, food as well because the fridge and freezer went off. Um, So I went down to stay at my mum's and then the next morning I came back up but there was no water. So I made the decision to move us out because obviously my son's welfare is paramount so it's just had a massive impact on his routine and my routine really. Well with us now is Phil Adams from the water supplier for the area Affinity Water. Morning Phil. Good morning. Why has the water supply been so badly affected? Okay, firstly, if I may, I would like to apologise to all of our customers for the reduced pressure and the intermittent supply they've been experiencing since the fire um, commenced. I'd also like to thank them for their patience and understanding and, of course, their cooperation um, as well throughout what has been quite a difficult time for them. The, the, The reason simply for the intermittent supply has been down purely to the demand from the fire brigade um, and g- providing them with the, the capability to fight the fire um, throughout, the, throughout the week. Phil, can I just say, thank you for giving the first apology that we've had around this story from anyone at all. You're, you're more than welcome. Seriously, seriously, I'm not being sarcastic or anything. You're the first person that's come on and said sorry, so thank you for that. I think people will appreciate that. Uh, how many homes have been affected with the, the, the problems with water supply? Okay, we, we, we think it's about 15 properties in total. We've had quite a proactive presence out there on site. We've had community teams working out, um, out there all of last week, helping customers. And also our contact team here at head office have been phoning customers two or three times a day to keep them up to speed as to what is happening with respect to the water supply and the fire. And also we've been made absolutely certain that to make life a little bit easier for the residents, we have delivered um, pallets of water. We've distributed bottled water to those um, families as well. And just listening to your show, just uh, whilst on hold there, I, I, I'm very appreciative of the, the two families that I know have had young children. I know how um, it's been especially difficult for them, and I do hope that they're you know, their, their, their daily routines are now beginning to return to normal. Um, now, some uh, of the residents you've heard, they've had to, to move out of home, they've had to spend money on, on living somewhere else. Is, can they claim compensation for any of that? No, we're not looking to compensate any customers. We operate within the guidelines of the Guaranteed Standards Scheme um, as regulated by Ofwat. Um, and, of course, this, was a, this is a fire-fighting-related matter, and we have a statutory obligation to provide water for fighting fires, in this, uh, as in this instance. 
So we've, we've heard from the fire brigade today that they've now stopped using their recycling water, so they're stopping using water from the source. Does that mean that the water supplies are back to normal for the residents? Um, yes, it does. I can confirm that they haven't used any of our fire hydrant water since Friday. Um, and I can also confirm that we've done some checks in the area and that the pressure in the Hemel Hempstead Road and the Potter's Crouch area has now returned to normal. And we don't anticipate any further fluctuations in pressure going forward. Um, we have been working very closely with the district commander on site and uh, we've been working in collaboration with them to make sure that the impact on the residents and the surrounding area is kept to an absolute minimum but obviously i, I hope that uh, y- yourself and, and the customers appreciate that the firefighting has obviously taken uh, oh, of course. the highest priority uh, uh, of course and listen final question uh, phil before we let you go mm. uh, if it was 15 houses was, was there any possibility the water could have been diverted from elsewhere that's a very good question. I, I, I would like to assure everybody that we, we, we looked at all of the possible options with respect to bringing water in from elsewhere, but there were three things that we really needed to consider um, in doing that, and that was, of course, um, making sure that we preserve the, uh, or, or provide sufficient water for effectively fire, uh, fighting the fire. Mm-hmm. We also have to ensure that water quality is maintained. After all, we are providing a food-grade product to our customers. And then thirdly, we want to make sure that we don't cause any further detriment uh, in the supply to our customers themselves. And having weighed up all of those three things, we really uh, we weren't able to effectively bring water, import water from, from other areas. Phil, listen, thank you very much. Phil Adams from the uh, water supplier for that areas affected, Affinity Water. Uh, and, and yes, listen, of course, it was, it, it was the PR thing to come and apologise, but he did it. It's the first sorry we've heard from anyone. The council haven't apologised. The company that owns the land haven't apologised. The water company have. Interesting. Small, small things. Yes, of course, he's been on a PR training course, and good for him. Well done. But small things do make a little bit of a difference, don't they? The BBC in beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. When do you think Christmas should start? I I love Christmas. I saw Father Christmas at the weekend. (sighs) Part of me thinks that was maybe a weekend too early. Last week of November, I'm going to New York next week for a weekend. I know, to see the monkeys once. Hey, maybe twice. Oh, I've got to check today to see if the trains are back up and running, and if they are, I'm going twice, baby. Uh, But you know it's going to be full-on Christmas over there. The last weekend of November, first weekend of December, you know it's going to be full-on Christmas over there. When do you think Christmas should start? Lots of shops in the three counties got their lights up. Other radio stations are playing Christmas music. Well, we've sent out uh, the three counties resident Scrooge, Justin Dealey, to look for houses which are already lit up. Justin, what have you found? Well, you're a grumpy man. Very, very harsh indeed. Well, we're on a mission this morning, and it was Sue who started this mission in the first hour of the programme. Christmas for her starts on the 1st of December, but she also said that she'd seen a house with Christmas lights up already. They are all flashing, great big blue and and white teardrop Christmas lights all over their house. As we drove up, I couldn't believe it. So, yes, yes, obviously they like an early Christmas. Let's go and track them down. I've got some (laughs) Missile in my pocket. You ready for a kiss? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Okay. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. So there you go. That was uh, Sue from earlier on this morning. God, I know you was, enjoyed that, Ian. Well, that was awful, Justin. Really <laughs> does you, make me uncomfortable. Yes, thank you. Well, the house that she was talking about <laughs> is in Adyfield. You found it. Yes, I have. Brilliant. High Street Green. I'm here with J.M. Thomas, who lives in this house. J.M., good morning. You're live across Beds, Hearts and Bugs. I know you're not too keen to talk about your Christmas lights, but, but when did they actually go up, these lights? Um, they went up yesterday. So are you surprised that all of our listeners are talking about you this morning, considering they only went up yesterday? Uh, yeah, pretty much, but it is on a main road and a lot of people do drive past. But yeah. So the question we're asking this morning, when does Christmas start? You seem to think that these Christmas lights are up too early and this is all your mum's fault, is that correct? That is correct, yes. <laughs> your brother's laughing right now, so are you quite embarrassed about these Christmas lights, and be honest? Um, I don't really get embarrassed, too much, yeah, so, no. When does Christmas start for you, then? Probably the 1st of December. 1st of December. So if you go into a shop and you hear shops playing Christmas music... Yeah, good morning to you, sir. Uh, <laughs> if you hear shops playing Christmas music, does that annoy you? Um, no, not really, but the Christmas lights go up at shops as well, don't they, early, so... I don't know, it gets people in the mood, doesn't it? Justin, can you describe what you can see there? Well, what, what I can see outside the house, I can see flashing blue and white lights. Uh, they are up already, pretty much as Sue described earlier on. So, so it's the start, because this is not the end. You've got more to go up today, haven't you? Um, I don't know if they're going up today, but there is a Merry Christmas that always goes up, yeah. so it's up every year. And who's this man here as well? That's Chris. Chris, Christmas, when does it start for you? Um, whenever. I'm not fast. <laughs> <laughs> and these lights, are they up too early? Um, no. Nah. Nah. What must their electricity bill be like? Well, yeah, well, what's the electricity bill like? Is it quite pricey? It must be with all these lights and more to go up. Well, the lights will be going off during the day. They won't be through the day, but... Yeah, there must be. I'm not sure. You need to go and check out the Chevy Chase film, the Christmas film, because you could be recreating that film here in Hertfordshire. Go and check out the film. It's a good film. It's brilliant. Justin, uh, Mm. one of our reporters, Jessica Cooper, on uh, Twitter has messaged me, someone on my street has put up their Christmas lights on Saturday, including Santa climbing (laughs) a ladder up the house way too early. Do you know what? This is fantastic. I reckon this week, instead of going back to the fire at Apps Pond Lane every single day, I reckon that we... (laughs) You bought it up one, are you, Justin? (laughs) But I reckon we track down people with their Christmas lights yes. day in day out here and who knows there, could, there could be another fire if they just plug too many things into that extension lead possibly quite possibly <laughs> just in cracking stuff if you can gra- grab a picture and we'll try and get up on the facebook page if you've got christmas lights up in your street or you've got them up do get in touch 3cr at bbc.co.uk just write in the, the subject ian christmas lights and maybe we'll send justin out this week to see if we can find the most over i love christmas i love christmas decorations i do think the ones outside a house Maybe they're a step too far. I don't know. If you've got some in your street. Because I know that neighbours quite often get very annoyed that, that, that their next door neighbour's done that. 08459 555. Best to send us an email on that. 3CR at bbc.co.uk. Put Ian, Christmas lights, and we'll follow it up. Thank you, Sophie. Well, there we go. We got through a Monday. So just about, I think. Hopefully, still got a job. Not too much nudism on the show. Speaking of nudists, no, I won't. I couldn't be so cruel. Back tomorrow at six. Jonathan Bernard-Smith is up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.